Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird. And I'm Matt Parmley. And uh, we're here uh, under unfortunate circumstances. Uh, We had some other stuff we wanted to do in September, but, you know, when something like this happens, you you gotta take a moment and put that to the side and recognize uh a master who has passed away. We're, of course, talking about Sonny Chiba, the iconic martial arts actor. Um, and uh, this is, would not be the first time that we've talked about Sonny Chiba on here. We've reviewed a handful of his films. Um, Matt, what we do? We did Message from Space, Virus. Uh, I feel the like were- I'm missing the one. werewolf. Oh, thing. yeah, Wolf Guy. Thing. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Wolf Guy, yeah, that's... Now, that's a movie. Um, <laughs> anyway, and also, of course, um, he he was on this podcast. Matt, Matt did a, a very good interview with him, um, uh, except for a question he left out, which segues <laughs> into our guest host for the night, Trevor Snyder. Uh, you know him from hanging around with us a lot for some reason, and uh, also uh, podcasts Failure Franchise and Days of Future Podcast. Um, welcome back, Trev. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we have to have you back under such uh, such horrible conditions. I know. Not not. This is the the second most depressing reason I've ever been on here. The first, of course, <laughs> being reviewing Shin Godzilla, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, beyond that, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet, but it's 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 nice to be back, and I'll try to concentrate on the positive of it. Yeah, you know, it's always uh, a shame. It's always a shame that sometimes we don't talk about like these people. Like, get the, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it sucks that tributes always have to follow the person passing away. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's like I, it's right. too bad that we couldn't <laughs> well, talk yeah, about not, this now that, I mean, uh, not that not that guys like Arrow and Shout Factory haven't been putting out some kick-ass Chiba stuff, but yeah, I, I am wondering now, like, okay, how many companies are going to put out like <laughs> the big box sets or whatever? Yeah, you it's know, just a, you know, it's, it's just the old story of like we really don't appreciate some people until uh, it's too late. So yeah, well, Although, luckily, I mean, I think the three of us appreciate. Yeah, them, I mean, luckily, I, I think the the three of us. I mean. Uh, you know, I, I think there's plenty of evidence <laughs> in this and probably, you know, other podcasts that we've hosted in the past. You know, we, this is a guy that um, that that was was important to us. Um, and uh, yeah, it uh, I don't know. It, it, it's like he he was he, Sonny Chiba was one of those guys that like it just always seemed like 
he was just going to be around <laughs> forever. Um, like, like, uh, like Lemmy or David Bowie or, you know, it's like, oh, you mean those guys aren't like touring right now? That's weird. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's weird, you know, when, when someone that's that much of an institution is just like gone. Um, Trevor, are you ever going to forgive me for not asking? <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to bring it up. Bird brought it up right away. We didn't even get like a couple minutes in and Bird brought it up. Uh, so just to reiterate the story, it's probably been told before. But it's just because Bird brought it up, people are probably wondering, just to get out of the way. Uh, when Matt was lucky enough to interview Sunny Chiba, he asked us if we all, everybody, like he asked our friend group who has questions. And we all gave Matt some questions to ask. And to be fair, I, I think I gave you three questions. You, you asked two of them. But the one I was kind of most excited for was left out of the interview, and that was just I was I was curious to hear his thoughts on working with uh, Miku Kaiji yeah, in, uh, that, in the, the the Wandering Butterfly movies. Yeah, but that, you know. that, that's part of why we we last year we had you we as a consolation we prize we we had you come on here and talk about Blind Woman's Curse last October. It's like, well, yeah. hopefully this will maybe this will help. I don't know. Um, uh yeah and, and I, that i mean i don't know i i kind of just you know to ref- a little refresher uh I, I i re-listened to that episode and uh i don't know i i think of course there's the now like the story that's in like kaiju transmissions lore of matt having to interview him in the dressing room of abandoned macy's <laughs> but uh but i i think uh i mean we did a good job on that matt uh and kudos to you it's it's really hard when someone's like, okay, you have like, you have like forty five minutes to an hour with this person. It's like you have to like kill off questions sometimes. And I I think given the time we had with him, like we were able to like get a lot of like do a kind of a big career spanning thing, you know. Um, yeah. But, to be fair, it wasn't. It was a really good interview. Yeah, but uh, yes, the the legendary Sonny Chiba. Um, uh, born in 1939, passed away last month. Um, uh, I mean, we, we we keep saying, you know, martial arts action movie icon, which, which he was. Um, but also, in my opinion, honestly, a, a very good actor. But um, also more, I, I part of the thing that's good about having Trev here is he he's like a big martial arts movie fan, and I I like martial arts movies, but I am by no means you know, have I seen as many or could talk at length about them as much as Trev? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get our buddy Chris Marty on here because he can talk a lot about that stuff and all the gangster movies that Chiba was in. And I've wanted to get, I, I, I've won, I think Trev and Chris would get along really well. Um, we have but, a lot of uh, letterbox interaction. <laughs> okay, he Chris is like me when it comes to a lot of modern stuff, and that he's like sometimes predictable, predictably grumpy. But like when it comes to like cult stuff and like stuff like that, he can like run circles around me and like it is like he's an encyclopedia of a lot of that stuff. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. He, there, it was looking like we might be able to get him on here, but um, he had some kind of commitment. So shout out to Chris, you're here in in our hearts. Um, but so I mean, so Trev, just in general, I mean, we mentioned you know this guy's an icon, but you know why? Why is Sonny Chiba such an important figure? 
Well, I, I think it depends on what part of the world you're asking that question. And that's the thing. I, I think one of the reasons I'm excited about this episode is you just mentioned that obviously my fandom for Sonny Chiba comes from the martial arts aspect of getting into him through the Street Fighter films, as I think is probably the case with most of his American audience. Mm-hmm. Um, or if not, a, you know, maybe a little younger audience coming to him through Kill, Kill Bill, Bill and then kind yeah, of going yeah. backwards. Yeah. Well, well and, my, and that, my, the first time I became aware of who Sonny Chiba was, was I think it was True Romance. Mm-hmm. Which I, I actually didn't see True Romance until, like, way later. Like, that was, like, a blind spot in my Tarantino, like, viewing. And so I, d- I don't remember if I saw it before or after Kill Bill, but I want to see say that I saw it before that. And, when yeah, you know, there's the scene at the beginning when Christian Slater's, like, in the theater. That's where he meets, um, uh, 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 Alabama. Yes, yes. And uh he's he, the he he went to the movies to see a Sonny Chiba triple feature and that's it was like the first two Street Fighters and Sister Street Fighter. Yep. And, oh, I was going to I was going to try and get you on that. I was going to ask you if you remember what the triple feature was. <laughs> oh, I remember. Cuz it's, it's not the Street Fighter trilogy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember cuz shortly after that is when I was like, "Oh, these seem cool." And like I I watched them all. And when I watched Sister Street Fighter, like, I was really thrown off that it wasn't part of, like, the Street Fighter yeah. series. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that <laughs> briefly, too, because I think, like, I, I think what you're getting at, you know, we mentioned Kill Bill and then, you know, the True Romance thing. I think for a lot of uh, the American aspect of Sonny Chiba's fame, it, a, a lot of it comes back to Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino is uh, a very important figure, and Chiba's name becoming much bigger over here. I mean, like I said, he spends the entire, like, first ten minutes of romance kind of waxing on about how great this guy is and that's always going to you know pump up an image and that was at a time i mean i guess this is still the case but that was at a time where people were starting to really take quentin tarantino's opinions seriously on film and kind of any movies from his past that he loved that he recommended people would seek out in fact that's something i still do um so yeah i definitely came i, I can't remember if I, i'm pretty sure i it's probably pretty similar for me bird in that it might have come from true romance but it certainly came from tarantino talking about yeah. street fighter and that being a time of my life where, as you said, I, that's when I was really, really getting into Kung Fu. Uh, and in particular, like both, you know, kind of old school Kung Fu stuff and trying to track down a lot of 42nd Street Grindhouse fare. And Street Fighter falls into both of that because, you know, it has this reputation as this X-rated, super violent film. Now, it's one of those things where you, you hear that and you watch it you're like, really, that's it? You know, but but it's still pretty damn awesome and then and then just kind of getting more into them but this is what i wanted to hit on because you asked me why it's so important and i said um i'm excited about this episode because over time i certainly learned and this is what i think is not known enough for um especially his american audience is that we tend to only call him a martial arts icon and you mentioned the thing about him being just also a really great actor and i think that's really important because mm-hmm. the martial arts part of it is actually such a small part of his career and honestly in japan he's a He's just a huge acting icon in general, and he's got a career that spans decades. It spans multiple genres. Um, there's so much more to him than Street Fighter, and I think, I think there's a tendency for a lot of people to just view him as like this total badass because of the Terry Tsuguri character. But I, that's not even like what the majority of his characters are. I think, and he seems like a you know you listen to that interview with Matt. He's like such a kind of like a kind, gentle soul, and I think he showed that off in a lot of his films. And I think people might think he's like this mean old like man or something because of Street Fighter. <laughs> like that just shows how, how you know he he could easily play that badass, but he could also play a really likable hero. He could play comedy. He could play drama. So I think it's cool that we're focusing on some of the other uh, aspects of his career today. Yeah. Um. Certainly, I mean, certainly, I'm going to talk a little bit more about like Street Fighter and that when we mention the, our favorite movies. But yeah, he's, he's more than just that. 
I actually think our movie selection kind of showcases that. Like, I there was a point, and there was a couple times where I kind of second guessed it. You know, when I was talking to you guys, and we were like, "Nah, we'll just leave it." But you know, uh, I mean, there there there's a lot more to him than you know just just the the fights, and he did all kinds of different movies. Um, yeah. And uh, and and Matt, I mean, just to give you a, a quick moment, I mean, uh, what uh, I mean. Obviously, that experience is a great story and everything, but just, like, in terms of, you know, his demeanor and, you know, how you saw him and how you feel like he interacted with his fans, I mean, you're the only one of us that has firsthand experience with that. So, you know, we're, since we're doing a tribute episode, you're the only one that actually met him and actually even got, you know, you got to spend some time with him. So, you know, I mean, just, I, I want to kind of hear from you a little bit about that. Yes, I mean, I've told the story on the show before, but it's we're going to this I'm going to this convention and the the convention center that they were trying to rent out apparently fell through. So they move it to a mall and they move it specifically to this abandoned Macy's where this abandoned Macy's store. You walk in through the mall entrance and like there's still Macy's signs in places. Um, And then we were like, I don't know, 20 or 30 feet adjacent to this like weird folk core uh band that when we were interviewing they kept playing every five minutes and so eventually i had to walk out there and say like um hey when are you gonna take a break i'm trying to do an interview and i think your music's cool but i picking up everything on the mics and they're like oh my bad so they took a lunch and that's when i did my interview and like when you meet him he he reminds me of like like a hip old grandpa kind of because one he doesn't look anything like his age like i thought he was probably in his mid 50s He's grabbing, uh, he's actually like working out. He had these like resistance bands. He's doing like curls and stuff on the side. And at the time that I was there, their booth wasn't super busy. So it was he and then actually Kenji Oba, who yeah, we'll talk about say, a tiny he was, bit. Yeah, he was with uh, his, Kenji Oba, who's like his student pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and Kenji Oba was one of the first um, people to come out of the Japan Action Club as a, as a stuntman. We'll, we'll talk about some of that. But like, he was super charismatic. Um, he wanted to talk to people. Like he was very welcoming. Like he didn't make you feel uncomfortable. You know, you, you sometimes you meet people and for like that first awkward couple of minutes when you're talking, he was nothing like that. He's super friendly. He was sat down. He, he wanted to talk. And then at the end of the interview, um, he pitched he you actually, a movie. <laughs> he pitched, he yeah. pitches me a movie. And we'll talk about that later in the episode. Cause it's more relevant to one of the other movies we're going to be talking about. But that was his idea. Like he said, "Hey, wait a second. Can you turn that back on and record this? Because I want to. I want to talk about something that I wanted to make." And you don't get that insight from everybody you talk to. You know, a lot of people when they do those interviews are doing it more maybe as a, as a favor to somebody else or like some sort of obligation. But he was just super nice, super chill, uh, and like honestly, very honest. I asked him about um, the Street Fighter movies, and he kind of like made this like uh, he's like i was it was such a long time ago i don't really remember those specifically and i thought that was hilarious because like how many actors would give you that answer i mean his his filmography and all the different tv shows and things that he's been in are so numerous i get it like you're not gonna remember everything but those are the ones that a lot of people probably think of besides maybe the you know kill bill of course but, like those are the ones that i would think of and probably are the most popular um but he didn't remember a thing about him but we were having a a big laugh about it so it was just it was like talking to this this hip grandpa who had a lot of stories to share and he wanted to talk like 
we could have sat there for another 30 minutes and we would have still had plenty of things to go through, including Trev's question. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's, that is what, that's pretty telling though. Right. And that's what I mean. Like to say like, so you're right. Cause it's, it's the street fighter films that are so known for him. That's like, that's his, the, the, his primary image here. And then that's just a blip in his overall career that he can barely remember that, yeah, you know, and I'm he's sure he's aware that I'm sure he's aware that that's what he's most known for here. But it's, uh, you know, yeah, he's, it, he's just done so much other stuff. Yeah, I, I, I don't like I, the year Street Fighter came out. I'm sure he was in like a bunch of other like it, he was making a movie like every month, <laughs> you know, Um He's done a lot for, you know, just the, the stunt industry and stuff in Japan. And we'll get into the Japan Action Club stuff, including a really... Well, well Bert, it's, it's funny that you say that about how he's doing a movie every month. Because, you know, uh, so and you mentioned the year Street Fighter came out. Street Fighter came out in 1974. Did you know what year Return of the Street Fighter came out? 1974? Yeah, guess. do you know what yeah. year Street Fighter's Last Revenge came out? I'm gonna say 19, I was gonna, 1974. <laughs> I was gonna say 75 and give him give him no, a little benefit no. of the doubt there. Those, those three films and they weren't like made in a row. They like they were that's how it was. They were like rushing films back then, right? Yeah. So the first one was such a hit right away. They they instantly made the second one. Then they instantly made the third one all in one year. So yeah, um, the the 70s was like the down and dirty work mm-hmm. until you die. <laughs> like everything's super cheap because the film industry is in the trash in japan like it was but, it, it but was that's crazy. like but that's what i mean like dude that's telling too like so we all just assume like oh well, that must be such a big part of his career it's like that entire trilogy was just one year for him yeah you know, so. <laughs> um but yeah like i said the the japan action club and stuff has its own uh uh relevance you know we'll get into that but what's interesting to me and since i have someone that's more well versed in this stuff here i i kind of want to pose this question because so after bruce lee uh you know martial arts movies are like a hot commodity in america and you know you you eventually got your what bruce lie and bruce lowe's and (laughs) yeah yeah those guys coming up uh dragon lee yeah yeah, but but like uh well first of all it interesting thing is when most people think of martial arts movies they think of hong kong films and you know sunny mm-hmm. chiba chinese kung fu whereas yeah, yeah, chinese, yeah. Sunny chiba is japanese japanese karate. yeah you don't often think of japanese actors or, or movies but um once you know street fighter comes out here you know other movies like bodyguard kiba are are getting retroactively released here because you know it's sunny chiba um mm-hmm. I, and speaking of the American version of that movie, is where that prologue, the Ezekiel speech in Pulp Fiction, is from. Um, I'm assuming you've seen it, Trev. I, I just watched that for the first time. I watched the American version, unfortunately, but they added. Yeah, I've, that, well, like, I've, I've only seen the American version. Okay, yeah, they add that like first ten minutes or whatever, where it's just two guys arguing over who would win in a fight, Sonny Chiba or Bruce Lee, and it has nothing to do with that, anything else um but yeah that's like the that is the kind of splash he made here would you say that following bruce lee w- was he would you say he's the first true like successful successor like the first true martial arts star since then on like the global recognition scale well okay before i answer that let me just say like so so for the record because i don't want to like put myself out as any larger of an expert than i am Take anything I'm about to say with a grain of salt, because obviously this is all happening before I'm born, right? So I, I wasn't born in the 70s when this was all going down. Um, obviously, I've done some research, but I wish we had like 
Grady Hendrix on the show, who is an author I love and who's also just like the super encyclopedic um, expert on on this uh, you know era of cinema and in particular martial arts cinema. Um, but to answer your question from what I, from how I would view it, I would say yes and no. I think you're right that he was a he was a very important figure in that I do feel like he came along and kind of put the kibosh finally on the rush to crown the next Bruce Lee, like uh, in terms of all the imitators. So yeah, as you said, like after Bruce Lee's death, because Bruce Lee dies right when Enter the Dragon is hitting in America. And so they like kind of, you know, quickly rushed out, you know, re-releases of his previous films. And, and they're like, well, geez, what do we do? And as Bird said, they just make all these like Bruce Lee imitators. And I don't know how long that would have kept going, but I think I think the success of Street Fighter, which was a new kind of martial art, as you said, was karate. It was more violent. It was down and dirty. That I think maybe allowed, especially the the grindhouse drive-in circuit, to move on from just trying to find the next Bruce Lee and say, okay, actually, there's another star we can kind of get behind. That said, when I kind of look at the timeline of all of it, that like boom for Sinichiba still seems fairly short-lived in America. So I kind of think by the time those were hitting in the late 70s, that whole like martial arts craze in, in America was kind of starting to wind down. And when you get into the 80s, obviously there's still martial arts films being made, but you see this transition into kind of cheap uh, like ninja films and things like that and a different kind of like martial arts movie. So yes, I do think he was the first one to come along and really maybe have the potential to take that Bruce Lee spot. But we can't kid ourselves and say he was ever as big as Bruce Lee or he ever was had the same kind of global recognition. I don't think that's the case at all. Like Bruce Lee is a phenomenon, and I don't think there's anybody actually comparable to Bruce Lee on that level until Jackie Chan, I would say. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, we're doing, you know, genre, you know, stuff here. But, uh, you know, so, but when you throw in martial arts, gangster movies, anything else, dramatic performances, whatever, um, what, what would you guys say are, you know, maybe some of your favorite movies or favorite, favorite roles of his? I want to go first only because, uh, I've probably seen the least amount with him in it. Like my first introduction to Sonny Chiba is going to be Kill Bill. And I would have been like 18 when that came out, I think. Man, that's going back <laughs> forever ago in, in 2003. Um, but, like, I, I mean, Kill Bill's going to be up there. And then, a- as I'm thinking about the stuff that I've actually seen, one of the movies that we're talking about today, actually, which is G.I. Samurai, I really, really love that movie. And I think it also gives him, you get to see him act as opposed to just thinking about, like, the martial arts stuff, which is still in there. But I think that movie gives him a pretty, you, you get to see all the different things that he could do in that. Um, so the mo- those are kind of the two that, that stick out. And like Wolf Guy is a lot of fun. The movie's insane. Uh, we talked about that. <laughs> Wolf Guy, you know, Wolf couple- guy is awesome. <laughs> so. Yeah, my answers probably aren't too dissimilar. I mean, like, I, you know, as I already mentioned, I do. I love the Street Fighter films, in particular the first one. You know, it's interesting. Um, Bird, I, okay, I wanted to get back to this because you mentioned this. I had a similar experience with Sister Street Fighter in the time of like kind of being misled and to think it was part of the same series. And in particular, my first like actual encounter with the Street Fighter films, I, you know, I really wanted to see them. And I believe it was New Line that put out like a, a VHS box set of the Street Fighter trilogy and Sister Street Fighter. Those were the four films in there. And definitely act- that box set definitely acted like Sister Street Fighter was Street Fighter 4, right? So you watch the entire trilogy, and then you watch Sister Street Fighter, and it's such a different tone. You're like, 
and you 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 think it's a sequel, so you're like, why does Terry seem so different in this? Like, why is his personality <laughs> so different? And it kind of takes a moment for you to realize, wait a minute, he's playing a completely different character. Okay, this is like a different continuity. And I think at that time when I was like, you know, a teenager experiencing these for the first time and buying them because I was like, this is that cool, really violent, uh, mean, gritty martial arts series to move to suddenly the high camp of Sister Street Fighter was disappointing. Um, I recently, in the last couple of years, bought both those new uh, Arrow put out the um, the Sister Street Fighter set and uh, Shout Factory put out the Street Fighter set, bought them both, was able to revisit them, really great transfers. And I've actually kind of moved to liking the Sister Street Fighter films more than the Street Fighter movies. I just find them like, I, lo- I love all of them, but I think Sister Street Fighter is just so much more fun in its like ridiculousness and comic book niche, uh, comic book niche. Oh, how do you say that? Jesus Christ. Um, but so I, I really like those. Um, like Matt, I also love G.I. Samurai. I'm excited we're going to get to talk about that. And honestly, one of the other films we're going to talk about, which was a first time watch for me, I think is already kind of is up there for me uh, in terms of my favorite Sunny Shoe movies. And then I would also just give quick shout outs to, I really, um, I can't remember if you guys have talked about this one or not, or, or Bird, if we have, but Legend of the Eight Samurai. I yeah, is, that, is that was one that was in consideration for this. I I think we should eventually go get back. To, I mean, this isn't yeah. going to be the the last Sunny Chiba episode we do. I, I I would like to get back and and go go uh talk about that one. Yeah, that's of course another Kinji <clears throat> Fukasaka uh film, you know, a nice like fantasy samurai piece, uh really kind of uh, you know, interesting. And then um I also quite, you know, he did, he's in a Doubt, Deadly Outlaw Rekka, which I haven't seen in a long time, but I remember enjoying when I saw it, which was like one of the early, early uh, Takashi Miike films mm-hmm. I've, I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, I, my answers are so, like, they're almost embarrassingly, like, like, typical, <laughs> you know? Um, well, we're but, also limited by what we could see. Here. So, yeah. yeah but, you know, we can, we can all give ourselves a little, like, relief on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the street—I I love the Street Fighter movies, but the first one stands like head and shoulders above the others yeah. for me. Like that is my go-to Sonny Chiba movie. GI Samurai, which we'll be talking about, I really like a lot. Um, and uh, and yeah, just some of the 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 I, I I like him in like more bonkers movies. Like he's a sporting role, but um, Fukasaku's crazy star wars ripoff message from space <laughs> I, I have like a too. i don't know why <laughs> i like it as much as i do i i don't even know why it's just in, it's just crazy and uh, it, as an actor you know i'm gonna give kind of a, a a normie answer too like i think his performance in kill bill is really oh, yeah. good like he he does so much acting with just like his eyes, uh, like and you see that in some of the movies we're going to talk about today. I mean, he was a really really skilled actor, and of course this is where uh, speak you know speaking of uh, Chris, he's probably listening to this and slamming his uh, phone <laughs> or whatever against a table because because none of us can talk at length about you know. Uh, the battles without honor or humility humanity series or yakuza papers or any of that stuff but uh, and you know i mean i i'd love to get around to that stuff i know arrow has all kinds of blu-rays <laughs> for for those toei uh those like uh uh grimy toei gangster movies um so i'll get there i promise uh 
But um, let's just give some some biographical uh, information um, on on just his career, and then we'll we'll talk about the our movie selection. We got uh, four classic films to talk about. Although one of them he's not in very much. <laughs> we're we're like those uh, after Kill Bill, like we're like those Sonny Chiba DVD box sets. Where it'll have like two movies he's like starring in, and then it'll have one that he's in for like ten minutes or something. Well, hey, two of, two of the movies that we're going to talk about today, I have on those sets, and I know like one, one of the sets is called, but I'm sure you know this I'm talking about. It's called the Kill Chiba Collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the box art. It's like which takes on a terrible connotation. It's today, basically but. yeah, well, yeah. It's but yeah, the box art is basically like the Kill Bill font and like yeah. it's basically a, the kill bill poster but like with his image yeah instead of uma thurman um uh we've talked mentioned toei a lot he's done a lot of work with toei studios uh 1960 was discovered by their new face talent search uh he started acting in tokusatsu productions um uh so you know Japanese science fiction and uh, special effects stuff. Uh, his first roles were the television shows uh, Seven Color Mask and Messenger of Allah, which were superhero programs. In 1961, he would star in Kinji Fukusaku's first movie, Drifting Detective, Tragedy in the Red Valley. And uh, he would continue to pop up in Fukusaku's stuff all the time mm-hmm. um, until Fukusaku died, basically. Um, Did you say they're like Japan's like Scorsese De Niro? <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say that, that he was he was like the De Niro to his Scorsese. Um, he, in in that interview that Matt did, he he said at one point um, uh, he was talking with Quentin Tarantino and Kinji Fukasaku, the three of them, like in a room, and they they were talking about how one day they all would want to do like. Um, uh, a co-production together where um tarantino would uh direct the the scenes taking place in america fukusaku would direct the japanese scenes and sunny chiba would star um of course unfortunately only one of those three men is still with us um and uh yeah fukus i mean fukusaku's importance um not just to sunny chiba but japanese genre film is immense a very diverse um filmmaker <clears throat> um i mean uh he's he's done uh tons of gangster movies um uh sci-fi movies he he's done uh a lot of real the battle royale was his last movie he was he died in the middle of doing battle royale 2 which you know we don't need to talk about but um <laughs> but uh yeah i mean he he's like a master director he 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 directed the green slime which come on we all love the green slime right yeah <laughs> um but yeah and so yeah they they had a very meaningful relationship um and uh even though um uh as he told Matt you know the early tokusatsu stuff he did like those tv shows and also invasion of the neptune men golden bat they they weren't really productions he he preferred to do and he even said you know they were a little cheaper than the stuff you know toho and and stuff were were doing at at the time um but uh he never turned his back on on doing things like that uh, in fact um 
the Metal Heroes series, which is a Toei um, superhero series, think in the vein of, you know, Super Sentai Power Rangers, Kamen Rider kind of stuff. Um, the series Space Sheriff Gavin, uh, which starred Kenji Oba, his, you know, um, I don't know, you want to say apprentice, but he actually played uh, that character's father, Space Sheriff uh, Voicer. Uh, in recurring appearances uh, in that series. So, you know, he always kind of was cool about it. And so in 1970, he founded the Jap- Japan Action Club um, just as an effort to really kind of, I guess, have somewhere to really kind of up the stunt and action training for Japanese actors, um, find people that could, you know, do what could really... I guess stand above and be better than what he was seeing. Um, he would train a, and they they would train a lot of Toei's Tokusatsu actors um, that you'd see in the Super Sentai, Common Rider. I mean, lots of notable students. I think the most known, one of the most known at least in the United States, would be Hiroyuki Sonata, who, like Sonny Chiba, is also just a great actor. Um, people that don't know him from his Japanese work might know him in bit parts and stuff like. Uh, the Wolverine and Avengers, uh, Infinity, uh, it's end. No, he's an Endgame, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Mortal Kombat, uh, where where Army. he act- where he actually is like doing a real performance in like what the first fifteen minutes or something, and then mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we won't spend any time with him and until the very end. Yeah, that was. That was a <laughs> but yeah, he played Scorpion in the in the Hollywood recent, loves uh, to like cast him and we get excited and then do nothing with them. And yeah. also happened in Army of the Dead this year too. He, yeah, he, Sonata is like, okay, I just feel like in the Hollywood Rolodex it's like if you need a Japanese actor that is important, you get Ken Watanabe. If you get a Japanese actor who you want to waste their talents, you get Sonata. <laughs> if Sonata is too busy wasting his time being underutilized by someone else, then you get um, Tadanobu Asano. Mortal Kombat happened to both acquire and underutilize both of those guys. Um, uh, but then, of course, uh, Kenji Oba, who plays Space Sheriff Gavin, like I mentioned, um, and uh, who was who uh, uh, Matt also interviewed that same day, and. Um, also is in Kill Bill in a small part. Um, and Tom Kitagawa, who uh, played uh, the Green Ranger and I think Die Ranger, but uh, you know he's probably most well-known to us as um, he, he was the Godzilla suit actor for four of the five Millennium Godzilla movies. Um, so uh, there's actually a story I heard... Um, about the Japan Action Club and uh, the actress um, Etsuko Shihomi, who was the, in the you know the lead in the Sister Street Fighter movies. Um, Trev, have you heard the story about her being cast in those? Well, I know she was someone who was just like was kind of discovered by Chiba, right? And yeah, like, he was very he was very much a, a cheerleader for her and kind of elevating her into that lead role at kind of a, at a, yeah. a very young age for her. It's basically what you said, um, but I guess uh, just to elaborate on what you just said a, a tiny bit more, um, so, you know, she auditioned for Japan Action Club, you know, uh, on behalf of Toei or whatever for the movie, and um, Chiba, he said, you know, uh, 
he 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 i guess he just felt like you know sh- this is the only girl that auditioned that seems like you know she'll she she'll willing to go the extra mile she's willing to do anything and i guess um the bosses at the studio or whatever were were telling chiba you know well she you know she's a little like she's not as pretty as some of the other girls you know she's a little homelier and 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 they told him you know, she has broad shoulders and she has no boobs. So, you know, why don't we look for someone else? And Chiba was like, no. Like, tr- th- th- we need to hire this girl. Like, now. And he finally got them to, like, cave and be like, okay, okay, fine. And, uh, she's awesome. <laughs> so, we we know... So, I mean, yeah, again, speaking to the kind of person he was, you know, he he seems like he was willing to, you know tell people like hey like fuck off <laughs> you know if you're gonna be an idiot about it i have a uh, an anecdotal story that i think goes pretty well with that bird so when i when i was interviewing kinji oba the thing that i think people like don't think about is back when the japan action club is starting and you're talking about stuntmen like these these guys are like jump, jumping off of moving vehicles and stuff there's no like there's no safety protocols really. They don't have nets. They don't really have. They don't have like um, a lot of times they use like wires to like to basically make sure the person doesn't fall and get hurt. They have none of that in the '70s. So all the stuff that you see them doing, they're actually doing, and they're putting themselves at risk. And like, there's a level of appreciation when you start watching the movies and you know that that you're just like, holy crap, did that just happen? And how how often were these people getting hurt? And I just think about, like, you're jumping off moving vehicles, they're hitting the ground rolling, like, some of the stuff where, like, they're falling down cliffs and rolling down hills, I mean, you, you could, I would, like, break every bone in my body doing that. I can't imagine that they're doing that every other scene in some of these movies and, and like, the TV shows and stuff. So, like, there's a level of appreciation that I think you can gain by knowing some of the history there. It's like the same joy you get from watching Jackie Chan's like um, Hong Kong films or with his stunt team and just seeing like what they're putting themselves through, you know, and he gets all the glory. But then you just think how that entire team, like, look at what they're doing for him. And and yeah, the same with this, the, the, the Japan Action Club. It's like that's what makes the action scenes just so kinetic and thrilling in a way that it, Hollywood movies never are, because you're really seeing like, man, they're just really doing this, you know, and like you just said, you know, that it was like. They just show up to set and they're like, uh, who's going to take this huge fall? I guess I will. Whatever. Let's just get it done. And I don't know. I mean, you know, I I am not by any means an expert on, you know, Japanese martial arts movies. But I don't I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm just saying I don't know. But I feel like. Until. You know, the Japan Action Club got involved I re- I feel like the if if his goal was hey we need to make the stunts and action in Japanese films better and cooler I I think they probably accomplished that. I mean yeah like I, I don't know for sure I, I, like I said I'm not claiming to be an expert but I mean some of the some of the stuff that I've seen Chiba and his guys do is not stuff that I've seen from other people before that or around the same time yeah i think he made the action more hard-hitting and visceral yeah he he set a new standard for it Mm -hmm. i would say there's there's a scene that i think of uh in gi samurai where like he gets shot with a flaming arrow but like he's really on fire and it's just 
again, it, it goes back to the thing where, like, you know, nowadays you'd see an actor and they would get a stunt double to do that. And, like, Chiba is both the actor and the stunt double. He's doing everything, which is pretty awesome to think well, about. I mean, there's the scene in G.I. Samurai. I know we're jumping ahead of ourselves, but the scene where Sonny Chiba is, like, clearly actually hanging, like, from the helicopter, yep. you know? like Yeah, yeah that is like, yeah, there's a there's a couple wild ones in that in that movie. We we talked about um, Street Fighter and how it you know became an international hit and it put Chiba on the map as a martial arts superstar. But he also actually directed. Um, he directed a 1990 film called Yellow Fangs. Trev, have you seen that? I've not, I've not seen that one. No, I'm actually not too familiar with it. Unfortunately, I don't think he's in it. I think Sonata's the lead. I don't want to be quoted on that because I could be horribly wrong. But it's like <laughs> they're in the woods and like they're being hunted by a, a bear basically i haven't seen it it sounds almost like a a, a japanese revenant kind of thing i think i say like grizzly <laughs> <laughs> the prophecy yeah uh but the thing about this movie is actually was such a, a financial failure that it put the japan action club into debt and then Chiba actually sold the company in 1991 and then in 1996 it gets rebranded and renamed the Japan Action Enterprise. Which is, um, it is course, still to this day, I believe. Yep, yep, that's correct. And, of course, he would later join Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill, and he would actually reprise his role as Hattori Hanzo from the television series of the same name. Um, and Hattori Hanzo is based on a real-life Sengoku ninja, Hattori Hanzo III. Uh, and this kind of opened the door for him to star in other films, like the I think the one that I think of is probably Tokyo Drift. Oh yeah, Fast um, and Furious, that's probably the biggest... The biggest one yeah. after Kill Bill. So, I mean, he's, you think about his career, like, he's just done everything there is to do, but also his contributions go beyond just himself. Like, the fact that he started this Japan Action Club, and then you see all the talent that it comes out of it, and the talent that, you know, comes into, like, the Tokusatsu stuff, you know, relevant for our podcast, but then just cinema in general, it's a pretty, you know, amazing accomplishment. Well, I just think anytime you, um, anytime you put on an episode of Power Rangers, doesn't matter what season, it could be the newest one, you know, I mean, those suit actors, you know, there, there's most likely a direct lineage there, you know, um, I, I mean, that's all Japan Action Club, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, there, there's a real kind of, what is it, senpai... What's the student version? I, well, I guess I guess I'll just say teacher. Co, co, co. What? Uh, senpai Ko Kohi? Is that what you're talking about? Kohi? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. With with a lot of these guys, like Sonny Chiba trains Kenji Oba. Kenji Oba like helps train Tom Kitagawa. You know, and so on and so forth. And, and these guys all have like a very like you know they're they're, they're like a family <laughs> of of crazy stunt people. Um, and yeah, I mean, any throw on any season of Power Rangers, and you're basically looking at Japan Action Club uh, in action, no pun intended. So I mean, that that's a legacy that yeah, I mean, he might have sold the the company, but I mean, regardless, that's a legacy that he established and is still any common rider. Anytime you watch any of that stuff, it's all 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 comes back to Sonny Chiba. Quick tangent. You know what bothers me, what frustrates me still, uh, and surprises me both, is that in the wake of Kill Bill, and and I remember at the time them being kind of very open, and it was very, like well publicized that oh he's playing Hattori Hanzo, he's already played this character before in a in a very popular, famous, classic Japanese television series, 
I can't believe that with Quentin Tarantino's poll and like all that, that that series was not then released here on DVD. Was I? Uh, if it was, I certainly. If it was, I missed it. Like, but it certainly didn't seem like it had like a big push. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I would have snatched that up pretty quickly. But I'm googling this right now. Um, I feel like that would have been such an talk. easy cash grab that I cannot believe it never happened. Yeah. It's possible that it might have gotten released, but like after Kill Bill. Uh, I'm seeing Japanese yeah, or movies. like some crappy like Mill Creek set that I maybe just missed or something, you know. But like, <laughs> yeah, well, that would be that wouldn't be hard to do. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I'm not seeing yeah. any, anything. I don't know yeah. if if someone listening can like put up an Amazon link, you know, I'll, we will take the the F on that. Is that what kids say? Take the F. All right, Chris Marty, this is where you come in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think you're right that, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, whoever, I'm sure there are rights things, but you just yeah, think like, but like, it, it, it does to... seem like the, the iron was pretty hot for a couple mm-hmm. years there. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's talk movies and we're, let's throw it back to humble beginnings. Um, so uh, one of the first feature films he does in 1961, where <laughs> again it's like he's in like a handful of movies. So it's like I don't know, which, pick one is if you want to say his first movie feature movie, um, Invasion of the Neptune Men, um, which uh, probably most people know here is an episode of Mystery Science Theater. Um, and uh Matt, uh I have you for the plot synopsis on this one if you want to take a crack at it. Um Ooh. Trev Good luck. Yeah, there might be some <laughs> there might be some uh uh um uh something lost here in communicating it to Trev because his the version he watched is different. And you know, I, I we can talk about that. But uh so Matt, uh tell us about these Neptune men. Um nineteen sixty one, Toei Productions. What do we got? Yeah, so we have uh, Sonny Chiba as Hachibana, which is the, he's the astronomer, but he's also our superhero dubbed Iron Sharp, a.k.a. Space Chief, apparently in the uh, yes. the English dub version. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, the American um, rename is Space Chief. The, the long and short is that uh, there's a lot of kids, and these kids find these aliens, like an alien spaceship. Uh, they are called Neptune Men in the English dub. And basically, whenever the aliens show up, our hero Iron Sharp also shows up and drives the aliens away. Um, there's a plot about having an electric barrier to block the aliens from coming to Earth. Uh, every time the aliens show up again, Iron Sharp th- basically thwarts their plans. And then they announce uh, to the world that they plan to invade the entirety of the Earth. And then basically, they start blowing up cities towards the end. They start sending out like smaller fighters. And then eventually... Iron Sharp does what Iron Sharp uh, does, and that's defeats the aliens, and then they actually shoot a missile at the mothership and blow it up. It's, I mean, that's the Cliff Notes version. You get a lot of interaction with children in this. The children kind of serve as like the, the gamma, the the child of the gamma films, where like they're always sort of solving the adult problems or pointing them out first, and nobody wants to believe them initially. Um, it's a it's a very, um, I don't know. It it just feels kind of like an episode of ultra q maybe i don't it's but it's it's got like it's it's okay i mean you know it's kind of a for for like an early 1960s kind of thing like it's it's fine 
It's also in black and white, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I actually watched this movie twice. <laughs> Cause Why wa- would you do that? <laughs> well, I watched the Mystery Science Theater version, and, like, it was funny and everything, but I was like... I don't know. Something about it wasn't right. I was like, I can't follow the. I, it's like, yeah, I know I have Mike and the bots talking and everything, but I was like, I can't follow this at all. <laughs> they like, so how how bad do they butcher? How bad does the U.S. version butcher the plot of the original? Okay, film? well, like, I, it, I, it, I guess I can speak to that, and then I, you know, I, I the Japanese version unfortunately isn't. It's still not a good movie but it, it it it's at least something that is coherent enough that you can like follow it from like point a to point b um i don't really understand the american re-edits much like usually you can kind of see at least what the thought process is um it's it's guilty of cutting some interesting stuff um but for the most part it just rearranges scenes like Scenes that are supposed to happen, like, like, you know, happen, like, ten minutes before another scene that, you know, it, it, like, it, it makes no sense. Like, they, the, the scene reshuffling throws the storyline out of, out of whack. Uh, the yeah, it feels very and, episodic, but, like, but fractured episodic. Yeah, it, it's, it's really strange. Um, the dub is really... really bad i'm space chief (laughs) (laughs) um some of the bigger differences are and matt you're you've watched the japanese version it's still not made super clear in the japanese version so it's definitely a problem but the japanese version kind of operates in more of like a dream logic kind of thing where at the beginning it's almost like it's almost implied that the storyline is like a fantasy of the children because, like, they leave um, Sonny Chiba as, like, their science teacher or whatever, and they leave, and they're like, oh, he's so cool, and they're like, oh, what if he was a superhero named Iron Sharp, and what if he, like, had a flying car and came and defeated aliens, and then it goes right into, like, them finding the, the alien, and then it ends with a similar scene where, like, they're just hanging out with the teacher, and, um, like, uh, so I, I feel like the Japanese version has a more, like, fairy tale kind of thing to it but those establishing the american version cuts out the 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 two establish the two scenes that establish the hero which is the kids taught having that discussion and then the um the the opening credit scene is like a theme song that actually shows him doing all this cool stuff the kids were talking about so um yeah, it's weird because I've only seen the Mystery Science Theater version, as you alluded to, and it's definitely um, it's a, it's an okay episode. I think like so probably as my, uh, other Misties would agree, the thing about that episode was it followed it was in the same season as Prince of Space, which yeah. is like uh, <laughs> just such a great episode, such that's a classic an episode. And, yeah, that's an all timer. And then I remember like being excited when they came to Invasion of the Neptune Men because you could tell like oh this is like right away you kind of get that oh this is obviously like a follow up to prince of space and you're watching it, it's like oh what's with this one like this movie's not as entertaining just in general and like and then probably because of that maybe the riffs aren't as great and they even bird you just watch it they have a whole joke at the end of the episode of invasion of the Neptune man about how that movie made them realize how good they had it with prince of space right and like, right yeah, <laughs> yeah. crank or the villain yeah. comes back and they're like, yeah 
Um, and yeah, like so, Prince of Space is just such an. I think it's just such a more entertaining movie, and I know it that is. one too is like a movie that's compiled from two other movies put together. But yeah. it's just like it's it's just more fun than than at least the the butchered version of Invasion um, of Empty Men that I've seen through yeah. MST. And I, I guess yeah. the the other big change is um, probably the most interesting stuff about this movie. Like I said, I, I'm not gonna say it's a good movie, but there's there is some legitimately interesting things. There's like um, a level of uh, like post world war ii japanese cold war kind of paranoia you know uh this was made uh, only a year after uh toei made uh the final war which was is you know an, an examination of japan's place between you know russia and the u.s and kind of feeling stuck in the middle because of you know the various treaties you know there was the the one where you know they said you know any american um uh station on Jap- japanese soil like if if it gets attacked you know japan would would have to like basically like be involved and, and so yeah there was a lot of like political stuff that you know there were protests in the streets and and so this movie which is in the american version so trev would probably remember there's the scene where the aliens um detonate nukes or uh, in in both japan and america and um in in the Japanese version, it still all gets like figured out very quickly, a little too quickly. Um, but in the Japanese version, there is like a little stretch where like you see the different countries reacting and like blaming each other for it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and you you don't get get that in the in the the American version. And then um, another thing that's actually almost like kind of chilling when you actually know why is uh, when the Neptune men shoot <laughs> the. Uh, when the Nept- I know what you're about to talk yeah, about. Yeah, when the Neptune men shoot um, humans, like, they dissolve into these, like, uh, bl- like these basically these silhouettes on the wall, and that's, like, a direct reference to basically what, what would happen after people got vaporized in, in the atomic bombings, you know? They, they would and then you come and then you combine that with the other bizarre World <laughs> War II thing in this film. Oh my gosh, this one's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Take I'll 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 let you <laughs> let you take that one. Uh, the the Hitler building thing is yes. that yes yeah. yes um, that was upsetting because like I was not I was not prepared. Nobody there's no way nobody to be prepared. Is. <laughs> but like it's not it's not just like the it's the Hitler building, but he's giving the salute. And mm-hmm. and in in 2021 and 2021 the United States specifically that's very upsetting. Well, so. uh, luckily. I don't know if I want to say luckily. If you saw this movie in 1961 in Tokyo, it probably wouldn't bother you that much. So what the the hit, so they're referring to there is a scene when the the Neptune spaceships are blowing up buildings and they, they cut to a building with a very large <laughs> image of Hitler giving the the the, the salute. Uh, and the aliens blow it up, and of course that's like a, you know, the mystery science theater riff. You know, no, they blew up the Hitler building. I mean, yeah. that is the crowning moment of that episode. Um, there is an explanation behind it. I don't know if anyone is going to be satisfied by it, but um, that miniature was made to reflect, you know, how it looked at the at the time the movie was made, and that 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 was actually a very very large advertisement at the tokyo culture hall in shibuya where 
Uh, it was an advertisement for a Swedish documentary about Nazi Germany that was playing there, you know, something like probably six months before the movie came out. I don't, like I said, I, you can question the optics yeah, of have, that I advertisement. Multiple, <laughs> I, I have multiple thoughts about that. So first of all, that's a bad advertisement. It's not good. No. <laughs> and secondly, like, even if it is an advertisement, I think also it's on the filmmakers a little bit to, re- to remember that film lasts forever. And I know you're like, <laughs> yes. well, we want to make it look realistic to what that was actually there. But is that really an image you want popping up in your fun children's adventure superhero movie? Yeah. I don't think so. And, and uh, also, you know, I, I mean, this is less than 20 years after World yeah. War II, you know, Japan and, uh, you know, not Germany. Eh. Um, I, I'm sure uh, if you want a really boring academic read that is probably like reading into it too much, you know, you could look at how, you know, uh, uh, the space chief, you know, is, is defeating them in, you know, aerial battle. And that's one area where, you know, Japan was you know saw themselves in in some defeats <laughs> you know i'm like i said don't take that too seriously that's just you know my the boring I mean, maybe their maybe their defense was like well we do blow up the hitler yeah it does get blown up it's just when when you don't know that's coming i had no idea oh no I, there's no preparing it's... anyone for that I, I live by I live by a, a strong I, I don't have many rules in life but I live by one rule in particular <laughs> don't put Hitler in kids movies that's kind of that's a very I think we can all agree that's really <laughs> um anyway I mean as far as like the movie itself uh, the Japanese version is pretty standard kitty stuff it's not it's it's a thing it it's it runs pretty boring when like you know you realize this is a superhero movie but like it's all about these guys talking about this Matt what's it called the their barrier the the they yeah, say they got a like hundred times why can't I remember it the gravitational barrier whatever it is it's like a force field that repels the aliens and um a lot of that is boring and uh, even with the Japanese version like I don't know. We don't quite know much about Iron Sharp Space Chief. Like he just kind of it's it's more jarring in the American version, but it's still jarring in the Japanese version because it's like we don't get an explanation of like how he, he has all this up. stuff, how you know, how he does all this stuff and then like and it's narratively unsatisfying to see him take out all the flying saucers and then the big cathartic part of the climax is the mothership blowing up and that's just like a guy in a room like launching a a missile (laughs) um uh the kids were the kids were a little less annoying in the japanese version because i don't know i i think it that that edit does a little more of framing things from their point of view but uh um, what do they do? I was going to ask you both. What do they do with the songs? They just cut them all out because, like, the kids are always singing. The yeah, Japanese there's version. there's no songs. Yeah, in the in the American. I don't know. The American version is still clearly a kids movie, but it's like the Japanese version was like, "Hey, kids, this is for you. Like, these are your people." You know, but uh, so the Japanese version is just kind of kind of boring, and the American version is just a catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I, I have to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have to experience the American version, definitely watch the MST yes. one at least to get some some laughs out of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't have much more to add, except, I mean, I think the best thing about it, th- there are some charming effects. I didn't hate the kids. Yeah, so, and... some of the effects work more, like, some of the optical effects and the, you know, matte shots and stuff were, were, were pretty decent. Um, you can definitely tell they're working with less than, you know, what Toho would have done. I mean, Toho what? did what? Like, Mo- that, that, that's like the year Mothra came out, like... Yeah, and I'll be just slightly generous and say I don't I don't enjoy the film. Like I said, I don't even think it's like that great of an MST episode for me. But I mean, I think in general, if you are a Sonny Chiba completist, there's a certain charm to seeing a very young Sonny Chiba running around in a superhero it, it, outfit. It, it, yeah, know, and like, it is a very humble beginning. You know, you, yeah. the the baby face Sonny Chiba. You know, I I don't know that he was. I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say I don't think he was choreographing fight scenes at the time. No, I don't, I don't think so. No. But, uh, you know, I mean, he... I mean, By he, the looks of him, I think those little kids were choreographing right, fights. Yeah. Uh, he, he's definitely not the problem with this movie, and, you know, it is, you know, it... it it, it There is a certain fun to seeing him, you know, play kind of a very, you know, a, a mild-mannered kind of, you know, very young like uh like teacher basically like you know probably mid to late probably mid 20s you know teacher that you know i don't for whatever reason the the kids like fantasize about him being a superhero i don't i never did that with any of my teachers but um yeah i don't know there's there's really not too much to 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 say about it it's not good and the the, the mystery science theater episode is 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 okay and the japanese version is okay but like so trev said uh chiba completus will probably get the the most out of it i have an important question how many exploding hitler buildings because i don't think we can pick any other rating system at this N- point. i mean no so I, that how is... many exploding hitler buildings out of five would you give this uh hmm. after just watching the mystery science theater version i like i like a one and a half but you know the japanese version is it's an earnest enough, you know, kids' adventure movie that it doesn't do anything horribly wrong. It's just kind of boring. So, you know, uh, in in its original form, I would give it closer to a two and a half. Yeah, I'm yeah, at a two I, and a half. Yeah, yeah, I have to. I have to be fair and say, like, you know, to, like I've only seen the what I understand to be a mangled American version, <laughs> yeah, and on top right of that, I've only seen it as a mystery science theater episode, which means there's probably even maybe a little bit more editing happening and it's also being riffed over. So in, in all fairness, I can only give what I've seen a one and a half. And I would even give like as an episode of MST, I'd give it about a two and a half to like maybe a light three. That's very fair. I, I probably wouldn't uh, dispute any of that. Um, I guess fun fact, it featured design work from uh, Tol Narita, who um, I think most people know is, uh, <clears throat> um, he designed a lot of the, you know, six fifties, sixties era monsters for the Godzilla movies, and um, a lot of the most famous and well-known uh, Ultraman monsters. Um, he's he's one of the like the greatest kaiju designers. Like he's a guy that like Guillermo del Toro like takes notes from like he he yeah not that you would <laughs> notice in this movie but he, he, his work is really good um speaking of the effects uh you know again appreciating the practical effects side of things you know the neptune men's mothership was something like six feet long uh built by uh nabuo yajima who who was like toei's go-to effects director so you know there there's some some 
some history there that is kind of fun. Um, uh, so we're going to get to the Golden Bat, um, not in a similar vein uh, to Neptune Men, um, 1966 with Toei, directed by Hajime Sato, who uh, Goke Body Snatcher from Hell is his movie, and that movie is fantastic. Um, written by Susumu Takaku, who also wrote that movie and lots of Super Sentai stuff. But uh, Goke is great. Um, and uh, Trev, I I know this is a, a near and dear to your heart. So, I mean, let us know all about this uh, this golden bat who is well. I guess he's golden. He's not a well. He's sort of a bat. <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, yeah uh, don't worry, I'll cover this. <laughs> um, I so as Bridget said, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I and I requested to talk about this movie because I was uh, just. Still unbelievably frustrated at uh, how low I felt like uh, Bird and Matt were valuing this. So I, I definitely want to kind of come in and uh, and heap so much praise onto the Golden Bat, which I just discovered and watched for the first time yesterday. And I already can uh, can just say I'm absolutely in love with it. So obviously I've done a little bit of research here and I can talk about it now. I do not host a, a kaiju podcast. I'm not as, as versed in Japanese cinema um, as Matt and Bird. So apologies. I might butcher some of these names in a way that they wouldn't. Uh, but well, I, we I, might. I know I do. We, <laughs> yeah. I, I do. Oh, that's if, true. That's if true. we can give assistance, we will try. But yeah. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, and I think like I have heard a little of this through the years, but um, so the Golden Bat is actually perhaps arguably the first fictional superhero you know there's debate about that but i don't i don't even know if there's real debate there i mean the timing seems like i don't know where the where that debate would really lie because i mean 31 31 and we tend to think of you know people normally point to superman and batman as like the the real beginning of what you see as like the modern superhero genre superman's 38 and batman's 39 so 31 he's got a pretty good lead on them the only things like, like and this is stretching stretching the only things i could even think of are like do you consider Zorro a superhero? Like, I don't really like. Yeah, no, not he's like more of a, like a pulp hero, right? Or, or like, yeah, I mean, or, or, like the Zorro, shadow, or, like, the shadow like, was, I think, like a, predecessors of superheroes. Yeah. But I think Golden Bat is more in line to what we think yeah. of as like, a superhero. Like the shadow and Zorro, they don't have this like crazy, like fantasy element of like lore. Well, the shadow to them. does. I think. I think Golden Bat might represent like the perfect like middle between that. It's almost like he's like the perfect bridge from like the shadow to like the next level of superheroes. Yeah. It's definitely right. a character that has a important historical significance that probably gets overlooked. Well, so he's created by two very young creators uh, in 1931: uh, 16-year-old Takeo Nagamatsu oh, and 20 yeah, there you go. Good and job. 25-year-old Suzuki Ichiro. Um, and they, uh, so he's actually named after a cigarette brand. Golden Bat was a cigarette. Um, but from the, what the, what I'm looking at says the two are inspired by drawings of mythological characters in Tokyo's Uno Royale Museum. And they wanted to create a new hero that was kind of based more on science than mythology, which is interesting because there's actually quite a bit of mythology in this character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> science. But, but so, yeah, I don't know where the science is. Definitely not hard science. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, so they, you know, they're inspired by that and they decided to create this character and to, to go back to this idea of him kind of predating other superheroes, he even like predates kind of this idea of comic books. Cause that's not yeah. what he's created for. He's yeah, initially right. created for, um, Kamashibai. Kama, yeah. Uh, Kamashibai, which you, I don't know how familiar you are. I mean, if you, yeah, look at, not, if so you do you like a Google image search, you might recognize mm-hmm. it, but it's like, um, 
it's like a street performance that uses like paper puppets and pictures and um basically like it's like what a street musician would do but instead of music they're telling these stories with these illustrations and they would have like these two sticks and you know the crowd would chant kamishi bai kamishi bai um and later on in like the 60s and 70s that became like a popular home media thing where like you could buy a kamishi bai record and like you would get like a picture book with it there's a lot of godzilla and gamera and ultraman stuff like that uh but it, it, i i think you i you might i don't know if they still do it or how common it is i know that it it really died down after the war but i do know that like it seems like it there it was still something that was going on like you know there there's sometimes i might wa- be watching like an old ultraman show from the 70s and you know you might see a kamishi bai performer but um but yeah it's it's basically think like a puppet show but with pictures and okay. they do it in the streets yeah so that so he's credited for that and obviously that uh after the war like right that kind of theater i guess loses its luster a yeah. little bit kind of goes away but this character is popular enough that it survives and now we finally move into the realm of he is adopted uh, adapted into several uh, manga series including Actually, one by Osama Tezuko, yep. uh, who is considered like the father of manga. Yeah, like the know godfather him, of manga. Yeah. Creator of Astro Boy and Kimba the White Lion. Um, so he, he works on this character for a bit. And the character just kind of keeps hanging on in pop culture in Japan. And eventually gets multiple media adaptations. Uh, so we actually have um, film adaptations in 1950. The one we're going to talk about today, 1966. And then again in 1972. There's an anime series in, in 1967. And there's even like a more recent Korean film uh, with the character, um, and I haven't I've seen some clips online, but uh, yeah. <laughs> which, it looks insane and it looks like something that I have to see because it seems absolutely wonderful. But in that, he's paired up with a comedic uh, young Goo character. Yeah. Um, and boy, this is an interesting little trivia factoid uh, that character played by the future director of Dragon Wars, yeah, uh, yep. Jim Young Yeah, Trev, wow. uh, you will learn all about him. When you get to your Dragon Wars episode of Failure to Franchise, he is, yeah. I mean, in addition to like, yeah, he was a comedian, Youngu was like a famous character that he did, but the man is also crazy. So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to how you're going <laughs> to get through that can of He made of Dragon Wars, I mean, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Starring Craig Robinson, is it Craig Robinson from The Office? Yeah. 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 Oh boy! Not, I mean, I, I don't know if I am looking forward to that or not, but it's 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 a wild ride. So let me talk a little bit about uh, Golden Bat, the film, um, the the nineteen sixty six version starring Sonny Chiba, not as Golden Bat. I who knows who plays Golden Bat? Who cares? Does it matter? <laughs> um, but uh, Sonny Chiba plays a different character in this. But I'll talk about that. So I promise you, listener, everything I'm about to say is true, and everything <laughs> happens in the scant runtime of seventy three minutes. So this is a film about um, a young uh, a young man, uh, kind of like a, you know his hobby is kind of uh, do some like astrological work. Uh, he has a telescope, he's looking at the sky, and he discovers that the planet Icarus, which we all of course know, is on a <laughs> collision course with Earth. It has gone off uh, track, and it's it's heading towards Earth. Unfortunately, nobody he goes to believes him, except he is suddenly kidnapped by some very menacing men who just don't tell him what's going on, throw him into a car drive him to a secret UN organization located in the Japanese Alps. And this organization is called the Pearl Research Institute, named after Dr. Pearl, uh, an American character we'll meet, who the American dubbed voice is a very interesting choice for this character. 
Because he seems like everything about him on screen seems like a kindly old man, and they dub him with this yeah, like he, he's very angry voice for some reason. It's funny that that actor, uh, his name's Andrew Hughes. I he's mm-hmm. in so much Japanese like sci-fi stuff from the time, but he's always in like one scene or has like two like lines of dialogue. But he's like an actual character in this. I was not expecting that. Yeah. So they uh, they actually uh, are aware of the Icarus problem, and so they actually recruit this young man and say, "We we need your help." And what you find out is that this organization has uh, this organization is led by Sonny Chiba's character. Um, he is now playing Doctor Yamatone. Uh, he is the leader of this organization, or at least kind of like the uh, the leader of their kind of um, like their squad, their science squad. Uh, and they have created something called the Super Destruction Beam Cannon. And the super, super Destruction Beam Cannon will be able to blow up Icarus as it gets close to Earth, averting disaster. The only problem is that they need some kind of special material for the lens, which they have not discovered yet. And in looking for this lens, it takes them. their search for this lens takes them to a mysterious island that they have not seen charted on any map. Well, that is because, as it turns out, this is a recently resurfaced Atlantis, the lost uh, you know, continent of Atlantis which they discover by landing on it and reading an inscription. Now, this could be a case of maybe something going off in the American translation. <laughs> but in the American translation, they say that the inscription they read is from John the Baptist. And for some reason, John the Baptist, I guess, was hanging out in Atlantis. I don't know. Is that, I don't know. <laughs> does that come from somewhere? Yeah. I have yeah, no idea. We should have asked uh, Justin about it. He would, he would totally know. No, it, John, the, John the Baptist is uh, one of the writers of... of with the Gospel of John, but also wrote the Book of Revelation. Is Atlantis so, in that? No, the... <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm going to want to assume it's like the end times sort of vibe is what they were going for. That's the only thing that makes any sort of sense. But yeah, and and Revelation is like the 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 end of days thing within Christian theology. So my my assumption is that's where they were pulling from. Okay. <laughs> Well, in reading this inscription, that what they discover is they actually uh, uh, find this tomb, and they awaken Golden Bat or Ogon Bat, as he is called in this, which uh, you know I think is the Japanese name, and you know the American translation is Golden Bat. And what we discover is that he is this like kind of ancient mystical being who there's a prophecy that after ten thousand years he's been you know he's been in tomb for ten thousand years, and he will awaken whenever there's a crisis large enough that he has, has to protect the Earth. And obviously, a planet on a collision course with Earth qualifies as that. But this isn't just like, it's not like the planet just happened to suddenly be heading towards Earth. What we discover is that it's actually the nefarious workings of the evil Nazo, uh, who is the, the, you know, kind of trying to be the ruler of the universe. Now, let me explain Nazo to you. Nazo, I guess, is meant to look like a giant four-eyed rat with a claw, like a metal claw hand. Uh... (laughs) The problem is he looks more like somebody cosplaying poorly as a rat with like a costume made out of a tablecloth it's or like a gray a, It's tarp. like someone bought a rat like onesie and like yeah, added extra eyes to it. It's pretty hilarious. And he spends the entire movie sitting in this like kind of, you know, command post on this uh, spaceship or not even spaceship. It's like this like giant drill ship that is like kind of burrowing underground all the time and popping up in different places on Earth. Um, and he's so he is kind of uh, trying. He's decided to destroy Earth by sending Icarus towards it. Uh, he also has three henchmen. Uh, there is uh, Viper, who is um, uh, kind of like this like horribly burned maniac. He's just kind of always laughing maniacally. He's kind of Joker esque. We have Jackal, who I 
I assume is just a werewolf. She looks like a werewolf to me. And then we have Prana, who is just kind of a hot woman. <laughs> I guess those are, those are like the three henchmen. Uh, so he sends them after the science squad uh, to kind of get the lens to make sure that they can't actually uh, blow up Icarus. And it turns out that these henchmen have the ability to kind of swap minds with people. So they're able to kind of take over and infiltrate the science squad by taking over some of the, the people there. Meanwhile, anytime you need Golden Bat to show up or something, right? He just kind of has this like sixth sense where he can he can sense when there's danger, when he needs to show up and save our, our Earthbound heroes. Now, I didn't describe Golden Bat. This is important. Golden Bat wears a giant cape. Uh, he's in like tight, you know, spandex leotard. He wears, I'm assuming it's meant to, I don't know if it's meant to be a mask or if it's actually meant to be his head, but <laughs> he does have a skull face with like rotted teeth. And he carries around like a cane that he beats bad guys with mercilessly all the time. I don't know. He has maybe like five lines of dialogue in this. He spends most of his time just laughing like a psychopath. He's actually pretty scary. (laughs) He's really scary. I can't imagine like I it's very strange that when you when you're watching this film to think like this is the hero because this character would so obviously be the villain in any other movie. He is like uh, he is just so scary. He's just so terrifying. Uh, and he's like our, the hero that shows up and he just always seems like he just thinks it's like funny that like all this is happening because he's just constantly laughing about it. Um, but, you know, he does get the job done. There is a sequence in this that I absolutely well, I mean, I love everything, but there is a moment where Icarus is getting uh, very, very close to Earth and it actually just it actually blows its way through the moon. And they're just like, uh oh, it blew up the moon. <laughs> and There's no fallout to that. That does not affect the Earth at <laughs> they all. They don't seem to uh, care that much either. They don't seem to care. I have no idea what that means for nighttime anymore. I don't know what it means for our gravitational pull. I don't know what, the, what it means, but I guess we're okay without the moon. Um, <laughs> but suffice to say, you know, this this ends up with like a giant kind of climatic battle, a lot of smaller battles throughout. This is a pretty nonsensical movie, but I just have to say, I had a smile on my face, a giant smile on my face from beginning to end. I just absolutely fell in love with this. I think this is like, Everything great about like kind of campy, fun superhero stuff for children, because this is definitely aiming for like a young audience. And it's operating in that logic of like, this doesn't need to make sense. This is just like, let's just have total fun. I think this is a movie where everybody involved knew what they were making. Like, I don't I think they were 100 percent on board with like, let's just make a fun, fun kids film. And let's like jump into like every joy of like childhood and like these kind of superhero adventure stories. Yes, our hero is scary as hell and he's a maniac. <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, tons of great, like charming old school effects, you know, got a great, like lots of great little models flying around. The laser beams are all like kind of like the hand drawn in animation, just bizarre characters, bizarre char- like character choices and logical uh, maneuvers at every moment. It's only 73 minutes. It's so fast. I'm going to I just know I'm going to revisit this movie a lot over the rest of my life because I just I just absolutely loved it. Um, I'm not like as blown away by it as you, but I, I do. How could think... you not be? How could you not be? What is what is <laughs> what's, what's coming up short here for you? Come on. I'll, I'll get there. I, I will. Well, I guess I, I will say. And this retains, I think, a lot of the um, the uh, uh, crew um, from Neptune Men. This this almost feels like. What they were trying to do with Neptune... Everything that went wrong with Neptune Men went right with this. You know, Neptune Men, you know, there's that, like, Cold War parallel. Like, kids don't care about that. You know, it, it, it tried to, like, get really into, like, explaining the science of, you know, the Earth defenses. It's like, kids... 
are going to be bored by that. So it's like everything that they did wrong on Neptune Men, I do feel like they did right here. And oh yeah, and, this is and, just a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, and and it, they did it earnestly. It's not like oh look how dumb we can be. It's like oh we're just balls to the wall escapism <laughs> kind of and it's like they really aren't afraid to like say oh you want to get nuts like let's get nuts um for me um i was with it i don't know i i was with it up until i don't know maybe the last 30 minutes or so it, it kind of like hit a little bit of a snag when it got into like the body snatching thing with, you know, the, the aliens pretending to be humans. And, you know, there's a very dry, after golden bat, there's kind of like a, a dry spell of no golden bat. And like, it kind of like, I don't know, it kind of lost my interest a little bit. And then at the, the at the finale, it kind of, it, you know, it escalates everything back up. So I don't know. That's kind of where I am. I, I, you know, I, I do think it's a charming, film i think uh like neptune men we see sunny chiba in um uh an interesting role where he's kind of like the support hero you know and um he's pretty handsome with that beard yeah yeah he yeah only a few years later you, you just see what a beard can how a beard can age the man um uh but uh you know i i i think it's it's fun enough but i i wasn't you know i'm not head over heels <laughs> trev trev has found like uh, a new like <laughs> a I'm, new I'm, generally, I'm, I'm, I'm generally kind of shocked and i just talk it up mostly to availability here this seems like it should be a bigger cult hit here like this feels like yeah, something you think would have more of like a um a bad movie night kind of classic vibe yeah for, you know, american f- like audiences who like kind of um you know snarky cinema viewing yeah. and as i said i think this was made earnestly i think it's genuinely fun but it would definitely speak to that kind of audience. For I sure. yeah, this definitely seems like something that would be a right up like arrows alley. Like yeah. it, it is very strange that you know similar low budget Toei kids movies at the time came over here: Prince of Space, um, Neptune Men, and this seems like such a logical like whoever secured the rights for those. I don't know how they pass this up. Um, yeah, how do you get Neptune Man, but not this? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I know. Um, you know, Golden Bat, like, like Trev, like it's an the image of Golden Bat is something I've seen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm aware of the character and everything. Um, and then, yeah, this has never gotten a stateside release. Like the, we, what we watched, you know, it's a fan sub. You know, because that's what we do here you know hey if if no one wants to buy the rights and put it out you know we'll subtitle it you know um it it, it does seem like something that should have like a uh a, a val- like uh, like a midnight movie you know yeah because you know like and I, and I know matt still has to say his piece but just really quickly like what it actually remind me of and i mentioned this in my letterbox review and it, it's 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 kind of a strange thing to say but i think you guys will get it you know, like the Larry Blamire films, like Lost yeah, Geld and the Cadaver yeah, yeah. and Lost Geld and Walks Among Us. So whenever like modern filmmakers today make those kind of movies where they're like paying tribute to like the Ed Wood movies and like that kind of like corny, campy cinema, this movie feels like the real version of those, right? right? Yeah. Like this is like like an actual earnest of one of those movies, and that's what I liked about it. Is it's it's like got those same kind of laughs, but it's not a parody. And it's not doing it as tribute. It's like, no, this is the real deal. This is made in 66, and they were actually making that yeah. movie. And, and yeah. you can tell, like, 
like they're they're as low budget and like stupid as it is like i do think that you can tell that there was actual effort into like hey let's just make the best crazy kids movie that we can you Mm -hmm. know i uh, but i yeah i I know arrow especially you know they've been doing a ton of sunny chiba stuff lately they've been doing a lot of toei films um this seems like I mean, I know they, I know they have like a suggestions email or whatever, but I mean, I this seems I'm on like it. The, yeah, <laughs> this seems like a <laughs> no. It, it really does seem like a no brainer to me. Like, uh, yeah, I, I the only part of this that I had seen before this podcast was um, at G Fest they play like Japanese sci fi movies on the. Uh, hotel in-house channel which is pretty cool it goes 24 hours if you're you know at the convention between things that you want to do like go upstairs put something on and i watched i don't know i feel like i watched like the first 15 or so minutes of it and i don't know i had to go do some i don't know matt was probably bothering harassing me to go be social or whatever listen i just wanted (laughs) you to come talk to your friends who care about you that's all (laughs) um but it's but yeah i knew it was kind of crazy just from seeing that 15 minutes or whatever um but okay yeah we've we've blabbed enough matt uh let's let's give you the stage here i have a correction because i'm being an idiot it's i'm tired it's getting late it's past my bedtime now and also being a bad christian you're up till like three o'clock it is not okay okay but but (laughs) but the uh the john the baptist thing real quick John the Baptist was the precursor to Jesus. He's actually the one that is like Jesus's cousin, essentially, and is beheaded. However, they probably did what I did when I said John the Baptist wrote Revelation. There's two Johns in the Bible, and if you confuse those, you have the apocalyptic writer up, who was John the Disciple, and he wrote Revelation, which is what I think they were going for with the inscription, but they never talk about it again in the movie, so like I kind of just talk up what Trev said, where maybe there was a bad translation or reference there. Yeah, I'm not sure what they were going for. Because, I mean, no matter which version, neither of them were ever at Atlantis. So I'm, <laughs> and pretty what, sure, I'm pretty sure Atlantis is not covered in the Bible. I don't know. But, um, but you know, I'm kind of... This is the first time I watched it. One thing that like like struck me is what Trev said earlier. You took the words right out of my mouth. Why isn't this guy the villain? Like, he just... <laughs> you know, he emanates that, that, that energy. Also, like, he constantly has this creepy... Because of the, the costume design, like, the smile... Mm-hmm. And then the laugh is very unsettling and hilarious. And it's 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 kind of wonderful, honestly. The movie does have that weird dream logic where it just kind of goes for it. Um, but I think where it loses me is exactly what where Bird said, where like when they start swapping out bodies and people and impersonations and stuff, it just kind of run its course by that point. However, this is a movie that I think upon future viewings or like if I'm watching this like with friends or whatever, would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, well, and, like yeah, I mean if we did like a group watch, I think it would probably be pretty pretty awesome. I, I also a comparable movie for me might be like Super Inframan. So like Bird, mm-hmm. we talked about this. Yes, Matt is is, is, is Matt is historically anti Inframan, and I I think everyone should know that because he deserves. We have lost some punishment followers because you said that. Thank you, Bird, for costing us those people. But <laughs> it's one of those movies where, like, upon future viewings, I think I will actually enjoy more. Which is why, like, at some point, I'm going to revisit it, Super Inframan. But I think it has that same weird, bizarre quality to it. Where, like, okay, for whatever reason, I watched it the first time and didn't click. I'm going to check this out again at some point, and that laugh is going to get. 
and I'll I'll love it. But like I, I'm kind of in between Bird and Trev on this, I think, because I can totally see what Trev says, but I also think Bird's point about where the plot takes a twist and they start taking over people and impersonating them and t- and all that stuff, it it kind of yeah, but you do get that great scene where like the werewolf comes with like like a little laser pistol and infiltrates the base and he's jumping all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trev, you forgot to to say that if you want to wake up the golden bat, you have to uh, you you have to add water. Yes. Yeah, you have to add water on him. He also gives the girl like that little bat pendant uh, to call her whenever she needs, and then that little action there he has that little bat sidekick that flies around, which I thought like was him for a bit. Like I, you know, this movie is kind of hard to follow at times. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, also, though, we didn't even mention too a uh, bitchin' theme song. Great theme song at the beginning. Yeah, the th- the the music, theme song is awesome. Well, the music is um, by uh, Shunsuke Kikuchi, who um, I probably one of the most prolific Japanese composers. Um, he's still working up until you know last couple of years. Uh, he he just passed away too in um, April, but. Um, uh he's most famous here for doing a a ton of music for the dragon ball franchise kaiju fans would know him as um uh doing a lot of the gamera music um for the show yeah. gamera movies including the theme song you know that you know again mystery science theater uh brilliantly <laughs> have their own version um but uh also a lot of sunny chiba movies uh karate bear fighter where he fights a bear trev have you seen <laughs> have you seen that I'm not. I, I'm very aware of it, but I've never I've um, been able to actually check. It I out. should. Yeah, I, I feel like I need. That to sounds see that. awesome, by the way. Um, uh, uh, Sister Street Fighter. He did the music. For, I mean, look up his IMDb. I mean, the guy is everywhere. Uh, from basically, you know, the early '60s up until his his recent death. Um, Tarantino used some of his music from other films, also in uh, Kill Bill. So. <laughs> So yeah, By the I, way, know, I, I mean, I, the guy knows how to make a theme song. I, also, I just want to be clear, I wasn't being glib earlier and I said who cares who played uh, Golden Bat. I'm just making the point, if you look up like um, on Wikipedia or IMDb, there's like nobody listed for that part. <laughs> we have a, like the actor uh, Osama Kobayashi did the voice, but no one is listed as playing Golden Bat. I would imagine that's because whichever stuntman that day was willing to put on that smelly rubber mask played Golden Bat. And it's probably played by like 10 different people throughout the 73 minute <laughs> film. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that that's that reminds me of like you know with the Japan Action Club, um, uh, the uh, <clears throat> that like there would be times where like you know stuntmen like they were doing just talking about how we were saying you know Street Fighter and stuff there there was so much going on like there's stuntmen that like would just jump from like oh I'm working on this oh they need a guy down the down the hall at this movie okay and like. They just don't even remember <laughs> like what they've been doing, um, but yeah, Golden Bat is is crazy. I yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. It yeah. yeah it, well, I know you guys are gonna like break my heart with this, but I know like just to kind of yeah. move things along. How many how many um, exploding moons that don't affect the Earth at all out of five? Uh, <laughs> for, for just this first viewing, I mean, I did enjoy it, but it did kind of hit that snag for me in the. I don't know the early third act. I would say because it's so short. Um, um, and uh, I mean, it could go up on future viewings. I mean, especially if like if the three of us were like, "Oh, hey, let's watch Golden Bat." You know, I, you know, the community viewing experience might help. Trev is is crazy like that though. Like he'll watch like a bunch of Asylum movies all by himself, like in mm-hmm. a day or something. I don't. Yeah, I, I which can't. I love Asylum movies. I don't know that I can do that. Uh, so I'm gonna give this one a three. 
I'm sorry. Uh, I, I believe I know where Trev is going with this, and I know that I gave this a three on my letterbox, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the difference. I'm going to say for the sake of this podcast, uh, it's a three and a half, which, by the way, it's on YouTube, and it's in really good quality. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah. Fine, so there's yeah, no YouTube reason to... Good. Yeah, YouTube yeah, no subtitles. Check it out. Yeah, until Arrow yeah. get off their asses. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go. Obviously, I'm gonna go a little higher, as you probably guessed. Uh, I'm going for a strong four on this. Uh, <laughs> I, I did. I just really loved it. I, I don't. I, I. I guess I can see what you mean about how. I mean, obviously, yes, it'd be grateful and bad was in every scene, but uh, but I really think it being only 73 minutes just really helps it because this is something I feel like I. I'll, that's why I said I'm gonna watch it a lot because it's just so short. I think it's probably like a very easy thing to just turn on whenever you kind of need a quick pick me up because it is just so insane. And as you were just alluding to, this is definitely the kind of movie that'll always be fun to introduce people to. Yeah, I was like, going to say you don't you're going to make this people like, watch this, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Golden Bat. Everyone, this has gotten me like I am really curious about you know taking a we we were talking about this um you know off 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 the air or whatever uh i i would like to revisit golden bat the golden bat property at some point i i feel like we're not quite done with the golden yeah, this kind bat. Of, I, I did go down like a little rabbit hole of trying to see how easily i could find the anime and it seems pretty tough here but yeah. i also know I, I don't have quite all the same resources yeah that maybe I, you I, would, I might be able yeah. to pull some call in a couple favors Mm-hmm. and find something there is a crazy clip on youtube of the korean uh movie we're it's, talking oh yeah. about i yeah. i want to see that so bad now, Gold, yeah. where he fights uh it's like a it's it's a guy wearing a gremlin like a joe dante movie gremlins <laughs> like he's where he's basically he's just wearing a gremlins mask essentially it's crazy um so let's move right along um and uh speed through our next oh. entry, uh, 1975's The Bullet Train. So at this point, Sonny Chiba is a bigger star. Um, Japan Action Club is in full force. Um, neither of those things are super prominent in this movie. Um, this is our Sonny Chiba action pack or whatever box set uh, uh, straggler where it's like, yeah, he's not in this very much, but uh, it's a relevant movie. Um, so Bullet Train, 1975, directed by Junya Sato, who one of his first credits was doing Second Unit on Invasion of the Neptune Men. Um, but he became like a big prolific director. Um, I mean, I... It, he died a few years ago, but he was still directing up until like 2010 or something with big movies too. Um, so this is a disaster movie. I do you guys would you guys say this is a disaster? For me, whenever I think no. of disaster movies, I think of something like Earthquake or like uh, something like like I don't or, or Dante's Peak or Volcano or something. I don't. It's this is a really tough movie to categorize because I think like your inclination is to say it's an action movie because you think of like Runaway Train and Speed as like the obviously parallels which we're going to talk on and the, but like there's I don't know it's it's not necessarily an action film it's not a disaster film it's not really a drama I guess I'd call it a thriller I think that works but I, yeah. for me I always think of disaster movies as something like naturally occurring. Almost like uh, you know, tornadoes, yeah. volcanoes, yeah, things earthquakes. Aren't, like, things aren't hap- things aren't like blowing up and breaking down enough for this to be a disaster yeah. movie. Um, but uh, speaking of disaster movies, this was made in the wake of 
American disaster movies, you know, the Irwin Allen films, uh, Towering Inferno, probably the biggest catalyst for this. Um, but, you know, Earthquake, Airport, another one that I, you know, we can get semantic about if it's an actual disaster movie. But that gave uh, that, 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 that a whole Japanese wave of disaster movies. Um, I think mo- around the same time uh, was a reflection of that. Toho did a cycle of disaster films that we've talked about on the show. Um, you know, Submersion of Japan, Prophecies of Nostradamus. Um, uh, Toei's response was Bullet Train. Um, before that, though, they considered doing a remake of Towering Inferno starring Sonny Chiba, uh, which was called 36th Floor Burning, um, which from what I could gather uh was more along the lines of like backdraft you know the 1991 movie um than towering inferno uh but the rumor has it that this uh idea uh for bullet train um uh was co-opted when uh uh um uh the someone at toei apparently supposedly had seen kurosawa's screenplay for runaway train um, which was later made by Canon in uh, America in, in 85, of course. Um, uh, <clears throat> Great movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I need to pick up the Blu-ray of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, the Kurosawa, Kurosawa screenplay for that, uh, apparently someone at Toei had, had, had glanced at that and was like, hmm. Um, but uh, I think Bullet Train probably takes more cues from Airport, which was like, a, a, you know, the airplane can't land at a certain feet or whatever um i'm not sure trev have the makers of speed acknowledged this movie or i mean i guess or runaway train <laughs> but uh, you know since it's like i have the speed uh dvd that has like both the commentary from the director and the writers and i remember the writers being like a very uh funny and very honest in their commentary but it's been so long since i listened to it that i can't remember i i honestly want to say that they don't acknowledge either it's kind of might be the thing where they just maybe they feel like they're they're not willing to admit it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to believe that this did not play into their uh, influences yeah. at all. This did get a U.S. release in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Um, but uh, this movie is stacked with stars. Um, I mean, we can, you know, I'm sure we'll rattle off names throughout the, this discussion. But, uh, I mean, all stars. Um, Sonny Chiba is in a smaller role as one of the train uh, guys driving the train. But you also got, you know, Ken Takakura, the great uh, uh, Ken Takakura. Uh, a lot of people in these little bit roles, you know, Etsuko uh, Shihomi, the sister street fighter herself, shows up as a telephone operator. Um a lot of Godzilla uh, alumni. Uh, I, I mean, you watch this thing, and you know every every pretty much every five minutes, you're like, "Oh no way, it's that guy!" You like, um, you have Takeshi Shimura uh, from a ton of Godzilla movies and a ton of Kurosawa films. Uh, Tetsuro Tamba, who was in like everything, especially in the '70s, he shows up. I mean. <laughs> uh a, a ton of great actors um it, it's it's stacked um uh, uh so a big budget um a little bit of a troubled production mostly the japanese national railway i guess they were they they didn't want to be involved cuz they thought oh someone might watch this and like try to do it um and and they they tried to get in the way of the 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 film's release and 
they they pulled some strings to get some of its marketing pulled, um, but I, I guess it was successful either way, you know, and it did get a, a release here. Um, but because of that, you know, they they weren't really letting them use their trains uh so you know toei had to make do with doing some tokusatsu miniatures including a 12 meter trains on a 50 meter track um it's rumored that some of those were later re- reused by Subaraya for ultraman 80 but um we mentioned speed uh and that's you know i mean you you get the gist you know there's a uh, a bomb on a on a bullet train Hence the title. Um, and if the train goes under 80 miles an hour... It'll, 80 it, kilometers an hour. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, silly me. American uh, uh, ignorance, I'll claim. But, uh, yeah, it, it'll blow up. Um, and uh, you have the ensemble cast, like I mentioned. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, a lot of the movie is kind of the cat and mouse between the the terrorists and um you know the the people uh you know running the the bullet trains uh control room um and uh, yeah, you, you know, know what it, you know what it honestly reminded me of like more than speed was um and this might seem strange at first but i think you'll get where i'm going is uh taking a pelham one two three yeah I can because you're that. like witnessing the stuff that's happening on the train right but then also you're kind of cutting back to like what would be the walter Matthau character in that like all the drama that's happening with like the the people uh you know on the other side of the radio and like trying to figure this out and talk to it yeah. and trying to track down like the the bad guy you know and so yeah that's kind of like the vibe I got from this yeah and, and you have Sonny Chiba and the the conductor um character like trying to contain all the panic and and the passengers when they find out they're losing their minds and um uh and so yeah it's it's just kind of a back and forth uh with those I watched. Um, the Japanese version, which is like a half hour longer, the the which is on has gotten released here, but I think also really common and easy to find is the international version, which cuts out a lot of stuff. Um, the Japanese version has, from what I understand, most of the stuff that got cut out was stuff involving Ken Takakura's character, who um is the mastermind behind the the bomb. And uh, it's basically, like, a lot of flashbacks of him and his crew, and, like, uh, I don't, they do a really good job of it, but basically, like, humanizing them, and, you know, it's like, this is a guy that lost everything, you know, he lost his his job, even though he always did the right thing, and uh, he lost his, you know, he got a divorce, and his wife took his son, and... Um, you know, kind of showing, you know, where the where the rest of his guys, how he meets them, and, like, how, you know... One of them was selling pl- like blood for money, and they were out on the streets, and and so it, it ends up being kind of this almost scathing critique of you know, uh, I guess these kind of blue collar guys that have been like screwed over by capitalism, and it's like this is what they they've been reduced to this because of this, and um, uh, so I I think the movie does that part really well. I don't know. I didn't watch the cut version. I was like about to, but then I was like, "Oh wait, I actually found the longer one." So I don't know. Is any of that come through in the the international version? I watched the dub, um, and I uh, I think some of it does. Probably not to the extent of what you're saying, 
Um, but some of it does like they, they very clearly reference the guy losing his family and his mm-hmm. job and he kind of gives his motivation and stuff. But I think like one of my, one of my problems with the movie is the fact that like maybe that stuff that got cut out was more meaningful than I thought, because I, I didn't enjoy this movie quite as much as I think either of you did. Um, also the dub does this hilarious thing with, uh, Takashi Shimura's character where like his voice does not match. Like the dub <laughs> seems played really straight faced most of the time. And then he comes on the on the in the picture, and he plays this kind of like important leadership role. He's not in the movie a ton, but when he talks, he sounds like this, and it's like very <laughs> off putting. Like, um, but maybe maybe that was the problem. Like the version that I watched, some of that comes through, but but not to the extent that I think you're you're talking about. Yeah, well, I, that's the there's the I guess a little bit of a du- double edged sword because the uncut version is it's long. Mm-hmm. But you do get some probably better thematic stuff that probably makes the experience a little more rewarding. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that the shorter the shorter version, which is certainly the version I was originally um, exposed to, because I think that's the ones in my like cheap little Sunny Chiba set that I have. Um, without like all that thematic stuff, like Matt said, it's it's there a little bit, but like without it, it definitely just feels more like one of those movies that like I would always see on like syndicated TV on a Saturday like afternoon, right? It's just definitely got like mm. this is a very very seventies movie, right? It's got all the seventies like kind of funky soundtrack to it. Um, yeah. Obviously, everyone looks very seventies. This is just like a, such a seventies movie to a T, and it just feels like something that was made to be like something to watch in the afternoon it's just got i don't it's hard to describe but it's got that vibe to it because like i said it's there's it's not like full of action it's a little bit more of a character piece but about this kind of very tense situation and obviously you're following all these different characters um there's some like surprisingly like mean-spirited stuff in this i mean can we talk <laughs> should we talk about like the pregnant woman i mean yeah I just, like, yeah. Uh, yeah it's not you would just not go in the direction it would go in a hollywood version i think um but uh but yeah so i, I mean i i'm not like blown away by this film but i remember i think for me when i first watched this movie as someone who at this point was just getting this in chiba and only seen like martial arts stuff like bird said you know you feel like why is this uh, there this is like a featured piece of a sunny chiba set he's like not in it that much but just to see that he was in a movie like this which like a bird said kind of does remind you of those all-star films from the 70s of like the towering infernos or the airports I don't know. I thought this had like kind of fun little just lazy day kind of vibe to it. I I enjoy it. I think some of the train stuff is pretty cool. Some of the miniature stuff is neat to see. It's also one of those things where like, yeah, is this a Sonny Chiba movie? Like, no. But like, even though he's in a bit part, like he's he is actually he's the hero. He's 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 acting acting his ass off. Yeah, he's He's actually acting. acting. Like he's acting. It's a good performance, and he is the hero in the end. Yeah, like he he's one of the first people that I think he might be the first person that learns about the bomb, and he's like. He definitely sells like the oh my god I'm freaking out mm-hmm. part of that. Um uh but yeah, it, it definitely has that like that kind of um I don't know, it, it's almost the a comforting feeling like when every yeah. like 5 minutes like it's like oh it's this guy. Like um one of the characters um is uh Susume Kurobe who if you don't know the actor name, he was Hayata, you know, the original Ultraman, you know, the, yep. the alias for Ultraman. Like, every five minutes, you know, you just get another guy like that. Um, uh, Yoshifumi Tajima shows up. Uh, he was um, uh, in Godzilla vs. Mothra. He's uh, uh, the Happy Enterprises guy. What's, his, what's that character's name? 
Kumeyama. It's him and uh, Kenji Sahara are like the the scumbag guys. But but yeah, I mean, if you if you know sixties Godzilla movies, you know him. Like it it, it yeah. There's a it, it gives this a certain like comfort food. Like Trev said, like lazy day afternoon on the couch. You know, it's on USA kind of feeling. <laughs> Um. So, so Trev, have you seen the longer version too? So I, I like scrubbed through it today. I didn't sit down and watch it from beginning to end, but I kind of like blessed to do it primarily because, like, as like Matt said, I'd only ever seen it dubbed. So I kind of like wanted to like hear the Japanese voices a little bit and see like well, you know how bad was this dub comparatively with some of the voices. Um. And yeah, I was kind of like scrubbing through looking for stuff I hadn't seen, but because I was doing that, I didn't. I, I'm sure I didn't catch right, like right. everything yeah. yeah yeah for me i don't know the my favorite stuff was the stuff that was like kind of humanizing the the bad guys and showing how like yeah they're also victims um and yeah i i it, that's that's a lot of the stuff that that got chopped um but uh yeah i don't know i i i think like i said it is long there are times when you feel the length but for the most part i was entertained um, I thought the special effects were awesome. I liked how they were like, well, we can't blow up the train, but audiences are going to want to see the train blow up. So we'll just like <laughs> make, blow we'll just, <laughs> yeah. So we'll just like create these, like, I guess scenes that are like, Damier. yeah, like scenarios just so they can see the cool explosions. Like that, that was pretty, pretty clever well, honestly. to be fair like, years later in speed the uh, dennis hopper does blow up another bus before <laughs> uh you know telling Keanu Reeves that there's a bomb on his bus so um so i i thought it was enjoyable i i, I you know i i didn't i i'm probably kind of more in in trev's uh corner here and just like you know yeah it was it was good you know <laughs> that that's what there is and and yeah there there's it definitely has a, a cynicism that's not only very 70s, but also, like, you would not see in, like, an American version. Like, yeah, obviously the pregnant woman, you know, and the, with giving birth to yeah. the dead baby is 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 up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, again, I, I think part of, of why I, I didn't enjoy this movie very much was, A, I felt it was too long already. B, I did watch the dub. And, and maybe that has part of it because like sometimes it feels like they're playing it very straight. And sometimes it's like, they just threw in this weird voice because they thought it'd be funny. Maybe um, there's a lot going on in the movie. And like you have this, at one point the villains get blackmailed by one of their own. Who's like, Hey, I just want to be involved in this because if you don't let me be involved in this and I'm going to get some of the money, I'm just going to report you to the authorities. And there, there's stuff like that. They're like, some of the things made me laugh where they have like one of the chases leads to a, a cliffside and there happens to be this like karate class up there and the cops are shouting at the karate <laughs> class to chase the guy. And like, I mean like it, that it part rules. Me laugh, but, the cops are like, so in are they're, they're pretty inept. It's like, if you didn't, uh, if you didn't like harass the judo team into getting involved in this they incident, get off, <laughs> they get fended off by like a guy throwing dynamite sticks at them, which like, it, they can see the guy sitting outside this building and he's chucking like the, the dynamite sticks at him. Nobody can shoot the dude. Like anyway, um, those are, those are minor quibbles. I think mainly it's probably the stuff that was cut out, which humanizes some of the villains because you can tell there was stuff there that was missing and it felt incomplete. 
And the other piece was some of the scenes do feel long. There's a couple car chases I thought like, okay, this is this is wearing out its welcome. Um, I just I kind of felt bored, guys, and like to me that that's that's no, one I'm of the a- things about him about a movie that i think is the worst part if you're bored by something this long already and then you learn there's like 30 minutes missing like well, no, I just, I'm, I'm actually kind of i liked it more than you matt but i'm kind of with you in that i actually i agree that even the short version is feels a little long to me and so like that idea of there being 30 more minutes i'm, I'm torn because like what bird is saying makes it sound like those 30 minutes sound crucial and interesting but like it sounds to me like the best solution is maybe just a complete re-edit, yeah. right? Like taking well, out. Well, it some almost sounds because because like Matt is right. Like some of the chase scenes, I get that that's like the action, that's like the adrenaline of the movie. But some of them do feel long. You know, I I feel like you could probably chuck out a few minutes of each action scene and maybe throw more of that the the character bits in. Yeah, and you would have you would hit that sweet spot right in the middle. Where's Topher Grace? Can Topher Grace make us a, a yeah, board train cut? Yeah, the the <laughs> what is it? The machete cut or of bullet train. Um, so yeah, all valid valid points all around. Um, I, I do think I don't know. I mean, don't rush out after watching the other one right now. But you know, Matt. I mean, maybe like a few years down the line. You know, give, give the Japanese version a shot. Um, uh, it's good. It's just. It's long, but but yeah, but all my favorite stuff was the stuff with the the terrorists, and I, you know, I guess I don't know whoever picked it so up for Bird America was fired, probably like, oh, we can't. If Bird ever gets fired, he's gonna blow up a train. That's what I've that's what I've heard from this yeah. podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, whoever picked it up for America was probably like, oh, we they we can't make the bad guys seem too good, you know. But um, you know, Except you do Matt, get the you feeling and I... that Ken Takakura really cares about the <laughs> the other guys and everything. Matt, you and I both know that if Bird tried to blow up a train, he would just blow himself up trying to set <laughs> I won't argue with that. I would we probably... We just to some list by I, the NSA. I, I would find... Be, uh, before we get into the ratings, I just do want to point out, just because I think it's funny, because we have these like little trivia bits that we have in front of us, and I, I like the one that says, it was Sonny Chiba's idea for his character to be the one that deactivates the bomb. Oh, really? It was his idea <laughs> to be the big hero in the film? <laughs> Shocker. I'm shocked by this. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you, if you can't get the screen time, give them that hero moment. Um, we, yeah, we talked about the the cut stuff, um, and then uh, I don't know, Matt. You want to give us the only piece of trivia that, that I don't I don't know if it's in the American version, but I don't know. It's a cool little thing. Though. Heavy, 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 heavy spoiler warning on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, the shot of uh, Ken. Uh, Takakura being gunned down was an accidental overexposure due to a camera malfunction. So that was that's kind it of is, one. it does look cool. Like that, that was it, it, does, me. It, def- it definitely looks like a stylistic choice, especially for like that's the end of the movie. But uh, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, that was an accident. But do it anyway. Did you guys feel uplifted during this movie <laughs> after the end? I'm just. <laughs> oh uh, no! Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> um that's one thing i love about 70s movies it's a i guess it it seems like it's in japan too like they just weren't afraid to be like just bleak because like like a bullet train (laughs) it gives you like it gives you what is like technically the happy ending right of like saying like this the the problem we have a solution to the problem and it's like now let's still find a way to take you out on a bummer (laughs) it's like (laughs) let's go that extra like a couple story beats here and let's make it still sad at the end so um all right well here we are our main event 
uh, I guess, because I, I I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of just discussion to have about this movie. Do we need to, do we need to rate the uh, bullet train? Oh Is yeah, it so yeah. Remote? Bullet train. Um, I would give this. Uh, I well, there's a tasteless one I can do. I don't want to be too. Yeah, tasteless. I was thinking that same thing. I was like, no, I don't know if I want to say uh, that how, one. <laughs> how many? Um, how many? Uh, Suicide by Dynamite. <laughs> Suicides by Dynamite? Do you give it out of uh, five? I'm going to go three and a half. Yeah, I, I went I went two and a half. I, I didn't enjoy myself watching this. It's not the worst thing ever by any means. And there's stuff to like, but there's there's some stuff that just... I, I was bored. So I'll split the difference, but you know what, guys? You invited me to the party. You deal with the consequences. I'm giving this three dead babies. Uh, there you oh, go. There, he, he just had to do I it. Knew- I knew Trev was going to do it. I knew Trev was going to do it. <laughs> um, so, G.I. Samurai 1979 <clears throat> from Katakawa Pictures, um, who uh, now, I mean, they they merged with Daiye for their movie end, but uh, a publishing company, um, especially back then. But every now and then, um, uh, Katakawa himself would get a crazy bug up his ass to make a make a movie <laughs> um right after this he makes virus with uh kinji fukasaku and sunny chiba in a a bit part um which is probably the most ambitious japanese movie ever made um trev you seen virus oh yeah that's another one that's in 106 yeah. um that's another one where the the longer japanese version is way more rewarding but it is really long but yeah that geez that movie has everybody robert robert vaughn george kennedy edward james almost um olivia hussey sunny chiba uh, uh, that anyone that was a person chuck connors and uh we reviewed it like right after covid which may or may not have been a calculated move but if you actually watch the movie, it is like starting startlingly like very similar to the first like couple weeks of COVID, like to a mm-hmm. horrifying degree. Um, also, also very uplifting. <laughs> yeah, Sunny Chiba is actually one of the scientists that's like trying to get people to take the virus seriously. Um, ah, oof. Okay, that that that. Moving on. That aged that 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 comment just aged like milk in the span of five seconds. Um, anyway, uh, yes, GI Samurai, based on a novel by a science fiction author Ryo Hanmura, who I guess um, I don't know. He seems pretty popular in Japan, but I, it seems like only a few of his things have been um, translated Trans- here. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't have. So- Does anyone? Who is there? Anyone that wants to volunteer the synopsis here? I don't have a. Uh, someone assigned here. Well, it's a, it's a fairly easy synopsis. I mean, I can just give like the, the like the logline version of it. And I think yeah, probably yeah. more specifics will come out as we talk about the movie. Agreed. But this is a, this is about a group of um of a Japanese uh, uh the Japanese uh, self defense force, uh basically a squad of them that are out on maneuvers. So you know it's at a, it's at a time uh, it's the show up period. It's a time of peace, and they're just on uh, maneuvers. And there is a mysterious time slip, which is also the name of the novel, which, let's face it, is a better title than G.I. Samurai, but definitely not as fun of a title. Um, 
And so they're sent back to the 16th century where they're kind of, uh, you know, it's their same geographic location, but they've been sent back in time. And obviously at first they don't realize that they're kind of wondering like, wait, where's that base that was just here a moment ago? The beach looks the same and everything, but very, very confused. And then suddenly they are um, attacked by samurai and they discover that they've essentially gone back in time to the 16th century and end up basically um, not by choice, but inserted into uh, a, a battle between two warring clans. And at first, the the leader of the uh, group, uh, Sergeant, or sorry, Second Lieutenant uh, Iba, played by Sonny Chiba, he kind of wants to remain fairly neutral on this and stay out of it. But he ends up actually befriending and uh, one of the the leader of one of the samurai groups, and ultimately kind of starts to, you know their the soldiers start kind of getting taken in on that side. Um, this goes off in a lot of interesting like story directions, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we review it. But the general idea is now you know it just as it sounds right. There's the obvious like B movie pitch of this, which is let's send a modern military force back in time and see what happens when they fight samurai, and you definitely get a lot of that. That is very much the beating heart of this film, but it's not just that. There's actually like a lot more going on. There's a lot of kind of deeper philosophical elements going on here, and a lot of uh, kind of what is what is the nature of war and and humanity. So this is a pretty deep film with a lot to with a lot to go on. But that's the general idea: a military organization or squad sent back in time and putting their modern day military might against the old weapons of the 16th century and, and what happens what like obviously there's what we think will happen and then there's the reality of it yeah um yeah it, it and it's it's a movie that uh, you know it's just over two hours but i feel like it really is never not engaging on some mm-hmm. level um the you know i, I there is I mean, we're a spoiler podcast, so it goes without saying spoiler alert, but um, it is interesting, you know, there's a lot of, of interesting foreshadowing going on early on, There's a, and, and it it plays out a little episodically at points, but um, I, I, I think once you get to the last act, I mean, the last 20 minutes, and you start to really, the movie really, like, punches you in the face with like a this is why this is happening you know this is why these characters are acting this way it really like you know it really just hammers home thematically a lot of the stuff that you're talking about and um mm-hmm. you know i don't I, and to and to be clear we should say because you just mentioned when it talks about why it's happening the movie never answers why the time slip happened right like, that's not this is not this is barely like a despite the premise i wouldn't call it a sci-fi film like first and foremost because the time travel mm-hmm. element is only there to put these characters into this position and then that's never explained and that's fine because it's not about that it's actually about what the characters why they think it happened to them because that plays into the the problem now yeah. of what their solution is to get out of it and what that means for the yeah, decisions they make there's yeah. a lot to unpack here but you know i think one of the things that's interesting is you know you know, you get an idea of, oh, this guy seems like a, he seems like an okay guy, and it's like, oh, no, he's gonna, like, be a deserter and, <laughs> you know, try to, you know, stage a, uh, you know, a takeover, or, you know, these guys, they're just gonna go, uh, rape a bunch of women, you know, and, and it, you know, I, and so it, it really kind of 
it it does a good job of I like you you never quite know what is going on with someone. Like you you never quite know what their motives are until you do and then when you do you're like, "Oh wow, like that." It always like hits hard in a way. Like um uh and yeah, I mean just the whole idea of, you know, when when they do team up with uh the one samurai uh clan against the other one it's like yeah the group with all the that thinks they're the smartest that that has all the advanced tech and everything like yeah they're the ones that lose you know guerrilla warfare it's the ewoks and the emperor (laughs) all over Mm -hmm. you know it's it's that whole thing and it's 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 like um so that's always like a fun you can feel you, you can know, feel yeah. very cocky with guns in a tank, but it you know there's still a matter of being outnumbered, and there's still a matter of you don't need to reload a sword. You yeah. Know? So uh, you can you, once you run out of ammo, all that technology suddenly doesn't help you very much. Yeah, that, and that's there's interesting. There's also like a difference in. Sorry, I was just gonna say there's like a difference in strategy. There's this really mm-hmm. yeah. sequence where like they're driving a jeep, and people are like popping up and down out of this like nearby river, basically, and they're hidden. And so that element of surprise and that kind of plays into it a lot. And I really like appreciated that idea because they're fighting a modern army, but they're also outwitting them kind of all the way. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the interesting things about setting this in the warring States um, period of, 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 of Japan, um, which I don't know, we don't have to really go into what that was. I mean, I think we talked about this, uh, when we did our, our Batman Ninja episode, right? It, it's, you know, that, that period in Japanese history where, you know, there's basically like, uh, a civil war between multiple factions, you know, and it, it lasts for like a couple hundred years. Basically, I can't think of, t- I can't think of two better films to teach people the real history of feudal Japan than Batman Ninja <laughs> yeah. and GI Samurai. Yeah. That's all you need people. Um, uh and uh and and so yeah the all of the the uh sengoku period um characters uh most of them um are based on like you know a, a, a that it is like a real historical figure even though like uh we have a uh, hiroyuki sanada he shows up i mean he's in like a couple scenes but even he that is like that's a, a real person you know um uh, speaking of the cast, I mean, this thing is stacked also. Um, we have uh, uh, Hiroshi Kama, Kamayatsu, who uh, Matt uh, <laughs> pointed out to, uh, yesterday. Is, he's the guy that has the cameo in Godzilla 84 as uh, this uh, priest per- character that he played on a, a, a comedy show in the 80s with uh, uh, Beat Takeshi. Um. Uh, but uh, you also Shin Kishida, you know, from Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla and Return of Ultraman. He shows up. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of folks in this one. Yeah, this is the kind of movie where, to me, I was thinking while watching it, that I was like, man, this is the better kind of movie. Where I bet if I was like, if you're like Matt and Bird and and really versed in Japanese cinema, there's probably so many recognizable faces in this. Yeah, it, it, and, it, it, and and if you're not then you might as well just go into it and accept that you're going to really lose track of these characters. Cause this way introduces <laughs> so many characters in the first, like yeah. in the opening bit. So, um, yeah, it, it's not quite the level of like constant recognizable, recognizing like dopamine rush that bullet train is, but it definitely has a lot of, Oh, 
it's that guy yeah. <laughs> kind of there's moment. that moment where like the the, the samurai tribe the, the one that they end up teaming up with first shows up and they like like 10 of them introduce themselves in a row and i was like i movie oh, yeah, i'm not no. gonna remember who i have to be honest any any war movie i have that problem though like because yeah, they're all like dressed the same yeah, yeah. I, I can never keep track of like what everyone's rank is or what what like i always get lost um but yeah uh uh so yeah, the, you 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 get a lot of I guess um, you know you do learn more about these characters as as the movie goes. Um, again, this is uh, this is Japan Action Club in full force. You know, I mean they all of the action sequences, the battles, like you know Chiba and his guys. You know, um, you know they choreographed a lot of that stuff. Um, we mentioned earlier, there's some crazy stunt work in this. You have, uh, um, Sonny Chiba hanging over, uh, like the ocean in a helicopter. You have Hiroyuki Sonata jumping out of a, <laughs> out of a helicopter. Like, uh, so, I mean, the action and battle sequences are all really well done. Really good well miniature done, effects too, you know, uh, tanks exploding and st- I mean, it, the, the, the this movie delivers on all of that stuff. Yeah, there's there's that scene where like they're they have the soldiers kind of pinned up against the tank and uh, they wheel these like fiery like wooden log things at him with like spikes on them. And I'm thinking those are all real. Like if they don't move out of the way, they're gonna get <laughs> burned to death or impaled. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. A- this this is one of those movies where like the action is like is definitely next level because so like for me when I first saw this movie years ago and and like I said I bought this in one of those like. Oh, cool! Cheap little Sunny Chiba pack. This was like the revelation movie for me, and and, it, and a big part of it is because that the action, which is just, it's so real, it's so practical, and it's just like it's so visceral in a way that you don't get in movies now. Because like you said, it's like all real stunt work, and you're realizing like, wow, they actually have these tanks in here and everything. And if you're listening to us and you're wondering, well, they said it was a samurai movie, so am I going to get that good old like Lady Snowblood, Lone Wolf and Club, Blood Spring samurai action? Oh yeah. Like this is a very, very violent film and yeah. it like doesn't shy away from like the on-screen violence and you get decapitations and people set on fire and a, a bunch of amazing like arrow hits. And yeah, it's, it's all great stuff. It's very exciting. It's one of those interesting movies that's doing that thing of to me, and I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, it's so clearly like an anti-war film and so about like the horrors of war and what it does to people. And at the same time, it's making you be so excited about cool scenes of warfare. (laughs) Yeah. That is, that is, that's just, that's like the existential, uh, conundrum, just with war movies in general. Um, yeah, it's one of those, like during the battles of like, you know, the samurai versus the military, like, it's one of those things where I I couldn't help. It's like cliche, I know, but I couldn't help thinking like if this was done in Hollywood right now, how much of this would just be like a green screen hell with CGI tanks yeah. and CGI extras and and stuff like that, you know? And it, it really does. Again, it's cliche, but it really, you know, it, it, you don't you don't see that anymore. And and to me, like that. I don't know. That just makes movies like this more special to me, really. Although I didn't There's... play Slight Devil's Advocate, I guess the one, I mean, I guess Last Samurai was like the last gasp of like a Hollywood film that actually had like a lot of good practical stuff in it. You know? Yeah. Speaking of uh, Sonata, who's, yeah, that's right, one of the yeah. few Hollywood movies where he has a great role. 
Um, that was was that who was that who was that? Was that Ridley Scott? That's not Ridley Scott. No, it was um. Oh man, was it's uh, Edward Zwick? Got yeah. Okay, same guy. Matt, Matt sorry, <laughs> you were about to. Uh, um, I, the the thing I think I like about this movie is it does a really awesome job of making the the characters believable. Just like they're they're relatable. People have quirks. They have specific motivations that are revealed kind of as you go through the film. Like you have some people that are just concerned about. They want to. They want to be hedonistic and take advantage of the women, and they can do that in this era. So they decide to stay back. Mm-hmm. You have people that care yeah. About there, their there's family. also there, what's there's, the scene? I just sorry to interrupt, but to piggyback off that, there's also like that scene of like the widow that they that's like oh yeah, and and like I don't know. I guess they're all like gonna go to run a train on her or whatever. But but yeah, they're like yeah, this is like fine here. Like nobody cares. Well, there's there's also that bit during that sequence, though, where you have the soldiers uh, juxtaposed to the, the samurai. They're all going to bang the widow, but then they decide who gets to go first based, basically by playing rock, paper, scissors. And that comes into play later on when they actually meet on the battlefield because the guy that's right before he dies, he's like doing rock, paper, scissors with, with another guy that he's fighting against. And it's like, you realize that it's like, we're fighting each other, but we're also very much the same. And you have that same juxtaposition between uh sunny chiba's character is being like the leader of the military with the leader of the samurai because when they come to that climactic battle at the end they also have that awesome moment in the middle of the movie where it's like rocky running through the the ocean <laughs> with um apollo creed and it's like they they have this bonding and the relationships are actually really believable like the one dude that's always pissing is about to piss himself like, yeah, that's, that's hilarious because he's, he's constantly having to like go do that but it's one of those things that like i think we talked about this before kaneko does really well where he gives yeah. these characters kind of quirks yeah character but it makes traits them, more yeah, people like, should use them <laughs> and, and that's one thing i loved about the movie because when like don't get attached to anybody in the movie because when the end comes you then feel it it's like holy shit this person died and i actually feel something as opposed to like oh you know it's just blood splatter there's well, actually meaning and depth behind it. And and to piggyback off that, like the thing you just mentioned too, is like one of the trickiest things to do in movies is like those like um, abrupt and crazy tonal shifts. This is a movie that handles like various tones very well. Because at times it is very, very funny. At times it's very, very serious. And it makes you like kind of you, you're taken aback by the actions of characters that just maybe moments ago you were starting to like or um, or just kind of shocked by what you're seeing in terms of the morality of it. Uh, then there are times it's very exciting, just on a pure action level. There's a lot of great drama. Like it really hits on every tone. Doesn't like underserve any of them. It, it's all handled very, very well. And um, and to like what Matt was saying, I think the incredible thing about this film is this could easily just be nothing but a B movie about army versus samurai. And you know what? That would probably be a pretty good movie. We would probably still like that. The fact that it goes the extra mile and actually then gets into this like kind of exploration. Almost like, I mean, this is kind of highfalutin, but almost like Apocalypse Now-esque, right? About like what happens to people in this scenario. And in particular, I think there's something very interesting being said in this film about these soldiers in particular and how clear it's made that they are, a, you know, they are, a, the military is ultimately is, is built for war, right? So what is it like for military uh, units when there is no war to fight and how bored they are and how instantly excited they are to be thrust into a society where suddenly there is combat and how quickly that like changes them and how they're just like, well, let's take advantage of this. You know, there's those, there's parts early on where they're like watching the samurai fight and get 
mowed down and you just see like giant smiles in their face because they've never got to do anything like this and like what that does to some of them and then the characters that you're following that you think are like you in your head you're like well these are the characters that are above that they're better and then watching them also kind of devolve into it and obviously the, ma- the main example of that being Sonny Chiba's character I mean he's just fantastic in this and the, the character journey this movie takes him on is is excellent there's that there's that sequence the, the i think the hardest moment for me in the movie is the obvious thing on the ship where like it's speaking to comfort women and so they they don't show from what i remember they don't show the raid on the village but they show the aftermath where yeah. some of the soldiers break away they kill everybody in the village they abduct the women they take them on the ship and then they rape them repeatedly and then they talk about how awesome that is and then once they're done with them they throw them off the ship into the ocean and like <clears throat> the thing is that shit really happened and like it's one of the things that we've talked about on our podcast before where there's some people there there are very specific people in japan that sort of deny those things kind of happen Mm -hmm. and this movie speaks to that in a way that is very harrowing and that's a hard sequence for me to watch yeah i i think um everything trev said is spot on because like those are like they're universal themes you know um, um, us here in america we can we can watch it and get it we get what they're saying but i it's and it hits hard already but i i I have to imagine for a japanese audience it probably hits a little harder just especially like thinking about sunny chiba's character um, it's not stated that he, you know, served in World War II, but m- maybe he did. I don't know. But, you know, as, as a lot of people know, you know, um, the Constitution, Japan's Constitution that America wrote after the war that's still in effect, you know, with Article 9, you know, that prohibits Japan from any war capability, and it prevents them from having, you know, an active military. And so... um uh, when you hear Sonny Chiba saying, you know, yeah, you know, in, in our in our time, in the we can't do anything, and he's like, I want to fight. <laughs> he basically says, I want to fight a war. I want to kill people. You know, and and I don't know if I don't know if that is like a suppression that is that does go on over there i mean after i mean in post-war japan like in the you know 20 30 years after i i I, maybe there might be some of it you know japan did have those you know post-war stragglers that would not admit that the war was that they lost you know um we we see that addressed in you know uh movies like atragon and and so i mean i i could see sunny chiba almost being like a parallel to guys like that um, you know, there's a, I forget the guy's name. There's like, there's some very famous guys that just would not accept the war was over decades after. Um, but yeah, I have to think for a Japanese audience, some of that, you know, I, is, is something that you, you would think of, you know, the fact that, oh, you know, you know, the, the, the 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 there there's this desire for some of the these guys to go out and kill and go out and be in war and they can't and when you give them that fr- i don't know freedom for lack of a better word when you give them the ability to participate like that all that comes out and you know you see that with Sonny Chiba becoming like a bloodthirsty maniac <laughs> essentially 
Well, there's like that interesting dynamic with him where he's the one that decides to take out the people in the ship because of the things that they've done. But he also becomes essentially just like they are with the bloodlust. Yeah. By the end of the movie, because you think he's one of the good ones, and then it it kind of flips it on his head. Yeah. Well, not even by the not even it doesn't even take to the end of the movie because there's like the, a moment Bird mentioned is actually the turning point where you're watching because like as you said like you're so on his side when he takes out the soldiers on the ship because they haven't they've kidnapped these women they've been they've been raping them on the boat they've been throwing them overboard and then Sonny Chiba shows up and saves them right and you're like well great this not saves them the the damage is done but he comes in and gets revenge right so you're so on his side like oh yes this is our hero this is the this is the soldier who's above it all. And then, as Bird mentions, we get to a scene not too long late after that, where there is a widow in this village that uh, they say it's like a custom to where, uh, you know, any like men are like encouraged to go to the widow and sleep with her. And Sonny Chiba tells his men this. He's like tells them like, who wants who wants a woman tonight? You can like go to this widow. This widow. And they're these guys start getting excited. And then Sonny Chiba says something where he's like, yeah, isn't it great how like in this like unlike back home like here women kind of just are available to us. And it's just like, wait a minute. Now suddenly you already see the shift happening with him where you see like, uh Oh, yeah. like we're, we're losing him clearly. Yeah. And so it's, it's nice. It's like, it's gradual, but then, yeah. And you said, you see like the bloodlust becoming more and more. And to the point where by the end, even the friendship that he's made. And, and Matt was saying, I, I agree that like, you're actually kind of invested in the friendship. And even that doesn't mean anything to him anymore, unfortunately. And you see how there's actually, there's more honor in the samurai, right? I, I think like, the, that man, yes. sam, that man, Samurai Kajitora, he's more heartbroken at the end about what is happening than Sonny Chiba is. Yeah, he, and he, yeah. he he gives them all like proper respectful burials, burials and all yep. that. Though mm-hmm. another thing that I mean, I, again, I it, I think univer it can be applied universally, but would probably resonate with the Japanese audience is how you know I mean the warring states. You know the, these guys were warlords. Like they aren't they aren't they weren't they aren't gr- the the greatest people and i think by tying them in to modern time you know i i do think that there probably is something under the surface there that is probably speaking of you know japan's their history of of violence from you know i mean i i think sunny chiba is definitely bringing up some post-war like hey i don't like that we can't do anything and you know, I ju- juxtaposing that with, you know, uh, uh, someone like um, Kagetora. Kagetora. I, I mean, I, 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 I that that is that, something that I think there there's some thematic stuff there. Uh, so I, yeah, I think this movie might. I mean, I don't know. I still like every now and then you'll see something about it as like, oh, this that crazy samurai versus military movie. But I, I think it's a lot smarter than <laughs> than that. And I think there's stuff that hits hard for anyone watching it, and probably hits harder for a Japanese audience. I, I think there's a lot going on here uh, that, uh, like, like Trev said, I, I think this is a movie that is like it's prime time for for rediscovery. Also hits hard for a horse audience. <laughs> really hard time watching this. I gotta say, I there there's one particular sequence with one of the like first of all, horses are like getting blown up and like explosions yes. around them and falling over left and right. But there's one scene, this horse falls and flips on his fucking face. And I swear to, like I thought it died on camera. But I think I, I was I mess that's when I messaged you guys. I'm like, how many horses died during the I of think movie? I know the part Tom because there's definitely one part where it's like it's like two horses both kind of get taken down and it's and it's in slow motion and the shot goes on long enough that you see this one horse keep trying to get back up 
And to me, it looks like it, it can't get back up. And I remember just watching that thinking like, oh, that horse totally just like shattered all of its legs, right? Like that's yeah, what I'm seeing on screen, right? Like, yeah. I don't know anything definitive other than, you know, what we can see. But um, apparently there was a UK DVD release that cut the horse falls. Yeah, there's a lot of them. So, there, I, so I guess there is a British cut where, where the horse falls are taken out. So it's like cannibal holocaust uh, where you know yeah, you can watch the, not, the cruelty free version or whatever you're not watching like in real time animals be like murdered right in front of you necessarily but like it's possible that some of them are just they're they're, they're gone after that yeah um, um whoa bird, I, I just want to mention real quickly yeah. bird because we're, we're we're umming real fast uh, yes the thing that i loved about this movie too is the comedy that is thrown in there because it's not only funny but it's it's not like it's not forced. It's believable. It's people like interacting. It's that, it's that sort of like, I laughed and you need that sort of sense of relief because of all the other terrible stuff that happens in the movie. But it does it so well that like, I like this movie is not just fun, but it's that, it's that awesome blending of the horrific stuff that is trying to get you to pay attention to with realizing they're playing this for as being real people that are impacted and affected. And like the other thing that it does really well is it does bring the time slip back because you start seeing not necessarily flashbacks, but it plays it like this one guy, I don't know if he's a girlfriend, wife, but like he's, she seems to be waiting for him to get off of his mission and meet her like at this train station. And you see him think either remembering her back in time or like you're seeing her in real time looking and waiting for him. And it's kind of played like simultaneously and it just works really, really well. And yeah, so the, when, when, yes, when the guy's like dying, Right. And it, it's yeah. And and they, they do that a couple of different times throughout the movie. And like, I just I think it adds to like, hey, they didn't just forget about the time slip. They're making you remember, like, these people had other families and some of them are choosing to stay here because they want to. Like they there, there's a there's a part in the movie where some of the soldiers actually want to go back to where the time slip first happened because they think they can go back home. And so now the debate is, well, do we stay or do we go? And some of them are choosing to, to they want to stay. And I think that's just like a really interesting question about how war impacts and affects people. Yeah, there's kind of this like there's only like one kind of like really admirable character at the end still, right? The one who kind of actually like leaves the combat to say like, no, I want to just go like raise this boy, right? Like that whose father is, has died. So we we do see that a little bit. And I and but uh, yeah, to, but I agree that like the um I I, think I mean like I remember the first time I watched this years ago, like not being sure how I felt about those like peaks back into into like modern day. And like this time, yeah, it definitely worked more for me when I was kind of like, oh, yes, it's all about like, what what are they losing by getting sucked into this and just being stuck back there? Not that the movie, not that the movie gives them an easy out of it, but just to remind us of like what is being lost and, and what's been left behind. I, I like this. I mean, it, that scene might not be the most subtle, but I, I liked how, um, you know, as this guy's dying, you know, you do start to see like he's seeing what is happening around him, you know, with the 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 people riding horses and stuff and that that starts to blend with you know him what i'm assuming is you know his dying thoughts of you know his his wife or girlfriend or whatever back home and i don't know it's it's a it, it's a cool stylish thing and and you know i i don't know I, that that scene kind of got me a little bit too it's like wow you know even though it is the cliche of like oh the guy that's talking about his fiance the whole movie yeah of course he's gonna die you know but um but it it, it it was still effective there is the guy that i don't know it's a little problematic i think where he basically like 
keeps chasing this woman to have sex and like they become a couple uh i don't know it's the whole goldfinger thing <laughs> where it's like she's saying no dude and then eventually you know she yeah i mean but think like, how it re- yeah i think how it resolves though so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> um but yeah no i this this movie it, it i don't know it gives it gives you more to chew on than um i think you realize oh matt you know who i'm seeing in here in uh here i guess is a, a little bit part is uh ken satsuma um oh, the who the I, the heisei godzilla suit actor so yeah i mean this is a movie that yeah you got a lot of people showing up in this um uh no the the this is a, a uh, uh one thing i want to add about sonny chiba's character is like he seems a li- it's one of those things where like throughout the whole movie he does seem a little like off you know he 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 and he's he kind of like rationalizes wanting to get involved in this war is like well we don't have anything else to do and you know oh maybe the time god will be happy and send us back and you know it's like there's something not quite all there with him he almost reminds me of like it's it's like he really didn't have anything to lose by going back in time he almost there's almost like a little bit of like charlton heston and planet of the apes in him where it's like he's just like yeah whatever this is it's funny because like the best you know the best cult leaders are the ones who can couch their madness in some kind of like tantalizing way right and like there's something about what Chiba says where you almost think that that makes sense, right? When he's like, well, the idea is maybe if we start disrupting time by getting involved in this war, that will upset the time god, and he'll send us back to the present day so that we can't mess with time. And you hear that, like, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. And then you take the moment <laughs> and think, like, no, wait a minute. He just totally wants to get involved and hurt, and he just wants to, like, fuck people up. That's all yeah. he's talking about, right? Yeah. So. You know another scene that is is like another war movie cliche that I don't know I found it effective anyway is uh there's the part where the one guy um like stumbles into like uh a part of the enemy territory or whatever and uh the the opposing samurai is like a kid and he's like you, oh, you're, yeah, that, you're that just a up. kid and then the kid shoots him i think shoots him with an arrow and he pulls his gun out and and shoots the kid and they both die but i mean you see stuff like that in war movies all the time of like oh this it's just a kid you know but i i don't know that see i thought that scene was really well done it's one of those things where it's like i've seen it before but it was it still kind of packed a little bit of a punch yeah that's like the the band of brothers thing where like he comes over the hill and he sees the soldier who clearly looks super young and then which one shoots first and like in that case the kid I think he actually stabs him with a freaking spear right in the it's, okay, he stabs it's awful him, yeah. yeah but like it's that one messed me up too because like again it, it's he could have made it and instead he's like his humanity plays back into it but ultimately that actually cost him his own life yeah something really <laughs> messed up to think about <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. Also, uh, how many, uh, you guys seen, what was it, is it called Hero? There's like a um, Jet Li movie where at the end he gets like hit with a million arrows. Like at the end of this movie, how many arrows yeah. 
do they actually use? It's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's the the uh, throne of blood and <laughs> how many? Yeah, it's that's a, the, the visual of the at the end though of like when after they're all taken out, like that visual of all of them like pinned with those arrows is just incredible. Looking. Yeah, like and, yeah, and, it's just... and there, there's some you know um, clever, I guess bits of irony like you know um, uh, Kagetora has a gun and. Sonny Chiba has a sword, you know, and then so, you know, they're, they're each fighting with the opposite time periods weapon, I, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, it's also a fantastic moment during the one battle when, like, again, just going into, like, um, the cockiness of our modern day heroes and, like, you know, when they're, they're like, kind of char- doing a particular charge and suddenly uh, a squad of the samurai pops up with their own rifles and just takes them out. It's like, oh, that's just such a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Yeah, the, I don't know. This movie is—I don't know. If you've only heard of this movie, I would say like it's probably, and you, you decide to watch it, like it, it, it's probably better than what you are expecting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The, this is another one where like you know, Arrow—they're releasing Katakawa movies too. You know, I don't, and you know, I don't know. What you got to do, but somebody do this. Yeah, somebody release this. <laughs> this is totally something that I think is overdue for a really solid, like special edition Blu-ray release. I feel like we talked about this, but like Sonny Chiba's performance is great. Yeah, like, like it's he really it's, is it's, good. Um, it's understated how awesome he is in this movie and how his character shifts from and, and the way that he makes you feel like, hey, he's the good guy to oh shit, he's actually not. And by the, it's just, he's, in, he's incredibly captivating throughout the entire movie. Like, I think it's, it's understated how awesome he is. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a, a bit of foreshadowing when uh, Kagetora first meets him and he says, you're just like me. And, you know, for the first half of the movie, you're like, eh, he seems pretty normal. And this guy seems like a maniac. And then by the end, we're like, <laughs> oh, wow, he really is just like him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I laugh when I think of him like Sonny. Like, there's a sequence where they siege this like castle, and Sonny Chiba is on the helicopter outside, and he's assisting him the, the samurai inside. And he's like shooting people and cackling as he does it. I, I think that's kind of the moment where like he he sort of pivots and becomes that that maniac. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a great concept that could still be done well. Are you guys familiar with Rome Sweet Rome at all? No. So, like, this is back from, like, the early 2010s. Um, like, Rome Street Rome was a science fiction story that was written, and it was actually, pu- like, published on Reddit. Like, so this guy was, like, pu- like, putting it up on Reddit. And it was a story he was telling about, um, like, a modern-day Marine Corps unit that gets transported back in time to the Roman Empire. And it was the same kind of idea. And I'm, I, oh, I, I have to imagine he had seen this movie or was, like, aware of it, and he was, like, kind of retelling it. And it's kind of infamous as it was one of the first, like, things on Reddit that got snatched up. Warner Brothers actually bought it. They bought the rights and announced that they're going to be doing this movie adaptation. And it's like one of the people like tracking for like a long time. And it's still like supposedly in the works, but it's just been in development hell forever. But like, just because of how well this film turns out, turned out, I'm like, Oh, this concept obviously can work. The only thing is like we were saying, like, I feel like a Hollywood version of this would just be the big dumb version that I first expected when I turned this on. <laughs> right, yeah. And like I said, like, I think that still could be a fun movie. Like, I think just a movie about like the modern military versus the Roman empire could be fun, but this movie is like fun and has all this other stuff happening. Yeah, and that's the, why, the, that's this why is, this special. is one that, yeah, this is, this is one that's rich enough that 
I would like to see a lot of that retained. I, that that is a great segue, though, um, into Sonny Chiba telling Matt about his <laughs> his his you know uh, about you know how that could work. Matt, do you do you want to uh, recall your memory? If you if your memory is hazy, I just listened to that interview. So well, I'm I'm going to pivot to you for some of the details. But like, what I want to share is we're we're in the, we're recording in the interview and we get done and about. For like two minutes we're talking he goes hey can you turn that back on and then he starts talking about his pitch that he wanted to make which was in the gist of it again Bert, I'll, I'll pivot to you for this but like the gist is he wanted the american military to go back in time and fight and lose a war to the the indians and he basically described it as the, the american military might falling to the warrior spirit of the indians which is like i don't know how you would do that today but 15 years ago I think it could have been done. I think people would freak out about it today for yeah, I, all kinds yeah, of different yeah, reasons. There's stupid reasons why that probably couldn't happen today. But that's a, that's a brilliant idea for like a modern retelling, I think. That's a, that's Do you remember some of the specifics, Bird, that he that he had mentioned? Uh, well, he was just talking about how like he thinks like this. it's a story that still could really work. Um, yeah, his big thing was like, yeah, Native Americans um and and you know the modern military but he said you know it could even be native americans and you know or or, um the military and cowboys it could be um our military and the you know and, and the samurai but basically just how how he really feels like that that whole you know that how you know the whole like might is right kind of mentality of like who has the the biggest and best and who thinks they're the smartest you know how how there is kind of a lot of that that could work today and um yeah my favorite of of you know the ideas he kind of rolled off the tongue there was the one with the you know the native americans and the american military i i think that's a brilliant pitch (laughs) well we're about to get that with um the predator versus a Native American woman in the desert, right? Oh, so maybe, that, that maybe, the, maybe the spirit of uh, his pitch lives on in the new predator <laughs> is movie. Is that what we're getting? <laughs> um, uh, there was a uh, 2005 remake that I guess was was I guess there was like a a new manga version of the story that I don't know I don't know how much it has in common with the novel but I guess the the 2005 remake was more based on that that was directed by Masaki Tezuka who did uh, the two um, Kuryu Godzilla uh, Mecha Godzilla movies in the Millennium series and Trev he also directed Godzilla vs Megaguirus. Oh, <laughs> I have no idea what it's like, but I I would for a future episode. I I, I kind of feel like that's something we almost have to do now. I would love to. I I have heard the. I mean, I haven't heard much, but I have heard it's definitely softer. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that it has that cynicism, but I I would totally love to check it out. Around the same time, there was a four episode TV miniseries adaptation, also. So I don't know. I I would I would totally give those a a shot not expecting them to be what this is so but i i would totally i i think that's another thing i think this is another thing property that we're we're probably not quite done with um uh and uh yeah it's interesting 
you know, some of the, the struggles behind the scenes, you know, the, the self-defense force looked at the script and said, nope, you know, uh, <laughs> they probably didn't <laughs> like that they lost. And they also probably didn't like, you know, the depictions of, you know, the soldiers raping women and going nuts and stuff. Um, but, so the, the movie had to use, you know, surplus military hardware, which is why some of, I guess if there's any military geeks uh, that watch it, you know, some of the stuff is outdated. But the, 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 the troops tank was actually made for the movie, which is pretty cool. They made a freaking tank <laughs> for this. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't... I, we've talked at length about why this movie is great. I mean, I, unless... You know what I think would be a great, like, uh, take, because you were just thinking about that idea of, like, those people who think they're the best and then, like, wouldn't get put in a real situation. Instead of just being, like, the American military that gets sent in fast, what about these stupid, like, weekend warriors who all dress up like they're in the military but aren't really <laughs> and, like, think that they're, like, they want, yeah. like, the apocalypse to happen? You know, these, like, preppers? Yeah, yeah. about those idiots getting sent <laughs> yeah, back in time. Yeah, like, uh, apocalypse yeah. uh, 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 doomster is, like, in the middle of a real apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that, I, that would be great. I would love that. Um but yeah, no, this this is this is a good movie, man. Um how many uh wow, this could go uh, numerous ways. Um how many uh how many smooth d- uh soldiers with mullets do you give this out of uh, There are some there are some great mullets. Yeah, <laughs> out of 5. How many? I'm gonna give this uh, man. I, I, on my letterbox, I gave this four e breaks out of five. I, I think for our podcast, like I've I've talked myself into a four and a half at this point because like it's just it's, it's one of those good, movies man. that you go into that I think it, it makes you think more than you're prepared for, but also is so entertaining that if you had just shut your brain off and watched the action, you would also have just a spectacular time. So I'm at a four and a half. I definitely would recommend it recommend it to anybody who's listening to our show i'm, I'm kind of with you matt like i initially rated this four as well and i was just gonna like i was gonna say like yes i gave golden bad a four and this a four but they're kind of they're different kinds of fours <laughs> you but <don't> now <laughs> now that we've been talking about it i'm like you know now we've had this conversation you're right and that you're like i'm just hmm this is maybe a little bit better than a four if i'm going four for golden bad maybe i'll maybe i'll put this one up and say this is a 4.5 jeez god i i mean four was mine but like i don't know i i I'm almost with you guys in that, like, the action scenes are great, there's cool um, fights, there's really good miniatures, there's, it's got great performances from, uh, you know, bit parts to main characters, you know, all kinds of familiar faces, and it's just, it's very thematically, I would say it's probably more thematically rich than than it probably gets credit for, so, God, I you guys are making it really hard, so I'm just gonna cave... And give it four and a half. Slightly more thematically rich than the Golden Bat. <laughs> uh, there, there, you know what, Trev? There's something in your review that I read that I that I really like, and I think like if there was something to maybe a negative, like the movie is fairly long, but mm-hmm. like your point about it being like, hey, maybe it's 15 minutes longer than it needs to be, but even if you like cut that out, essentially, it would still be like a very entertaining B movie, and I think yeah. that's a really great it, the, summation the movie... of it. It borders on kind of getting lost in the sauce a little when you get into, you know, the the deserters that are raping women and stuff, to the point where I can almost see how it it probably would work better in a, in the format of, of a novel. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know, it's not something that is enough of a thing for me to 
Make Look, it, you have Sonny Chiba hanging from a helicopter for like a good ten minutes. It feels like yeah. so. You know, no, it's it's good stuff. If anything, I'm happy with our score just because if if that score convinces somebody to go check this out, like that's that's ultimately what we're aiming yeah. for here. Because out of the four films we talked about, this is the one I think people need to make a point to to see. Go yeah. check out. And and uh, I guess uh, if anyone besides Trev wants to get in onto Arrow's uh, suggestions email and pester them about this in Golden Bat, <laughs> feel free. Uh, but yeah, man, no, I I mean, the great great movie, great performance from Sonny Chiba. You know what 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 a talent. Um, and uh, I mean, we're we're definitely not done talking about Sonny Chiba. You know, we'll we'll be doing more of his films. You know, there's still some some sci-fi and horror stuff we gotta we we gotta get into, but uh, incre- uh, incredible guy. Um, uh, you know, dead at the age of 82, which I don't know these days that almost seems young. People live so long, <laughs> um, but yeah, co- that that raggedy ass bitch COVID uh, got him, and you know, I. I Guess he he you know wasn't vaccinated and kind of fell into some of that um, alternative <laughs> medicine supplements kind of thing. Uh, he was a sponsor for this uh, supplement company, the Doctor Hydrogen Celeb Health Company, who claimed their products fought COVID. Um, but I guess Chiba was a sponsor for for them from years years ago. Um, but yeah, it's sad, man. You know, I mean. Dr. Hydrogen Celeb sounds so legit. (laughs) (laughs) From what I understand, after he passed away, all they did was remove his name from, like, their sponsors page or something. I don't even know that they removed their claim that their stuff fights COVID. I I don't know. But I don't know. Crappy way to lose a legend, and, you know, it's easy to poke fun at, you know, people that don't want to take vaccines, whatever. But, you know, it, it hits different when it's someone like this. It really does. And uh, we're losing a lot of a lot of not. I mean, not just from COVID. We're the last couple months we've lost um, uh, Wataru uh, Mamura, who wrote um, some of the Heisei and Millennium Godzilla movie. Trev, he mm. wrote Megaguirus. What's a man? Come on, man! Two Megaguirus references in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, uh, um, the the actor that played uh, Ide on uh, Ultraman, um, who's like the comic relief character but uh, uh he he passed away yeah tr- yeah matt's a big e day fan um, I love I love. but yeah i mean COVID or not i mean it it just it sucks when these guys go you know and they're not gonna be here forever and you know i mean i mean that's that's really been something that like you know i i really wish more people would interview these guys and and stuff because they aren't gonna be around forever they're not. No, it's uh, it's the monsters like like James Corden to live forever. You know. Yeah, he's but gonna like, live to be like two hundred or, so, or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it it sucks, and uh, you know, uh, we uh, hope that we um, gave a good tribute for for the man. Um, uh, the movie selection might feel a little strange, but I I mean, I think I think we did good, and and there's more Chiba films coming uh soon i promise you people uh maybe sooner than you realize but uh, I, I would uh i would just like to plug the interview that we did with him not not because i did it but because like i think his demeanor 
and, and like the way that he was as a person really comes through. And actually, I, I want to close with this like little story that he tells. The way that he got invited by Tarantino to join Kill Bill is like Tarantino just shows up at like midnight or something with with a bottle of booze to his house to his house unannounced. And I, I think and he t- said uh, I think Fukus- Kinchi Fukasaku was there too. It was his, his yeah, birthday, right? It was Chiba's birthday. Yeah, and it's just like this guy was vibrant and full of life and was so warm and welcoming. And like that that's how I am gonna think of him because like when when you when you got to talk to him and sit with him for a few minutes, like he was just he wasn't unapproachable in the way that you might think of that that he could have been because of his status and his stature and the way that some people might be. He was a total opposite. Just a lot of fun to be around and, and that that's gonna be what I kinda remind remember from all this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, the conditions of his death, you know, with COVID and, I don't know, I guess being a, vi- I'd say a victim of these grifters, I, I, I mean, I don't think that diminishes his legacy or his personality. Um, I mean, I, I, I he's left behind an incredible body of work. And, I mean, like I said, turn on po- Power Rangers anytime. That's his fingerprints. That is him. Yep. You know, I, I, I mean, there's no uh, overstating how cool he was, how important he was, and I mean, you know, he he leaves behind such a huge legacy that uh, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like one thing he was clearly wrong on. So, like uh, our message out, like don't be don't be a Sunny Chiba in this aspect. Go get vaxxed. But beyond <laughs> yeah. that, if you can be a Sonny Chiba in like every other aspect of your life, if you can somehow be like that badass and become like this like great uh, icon of Japanese cinema and an incredible martial artist, you should do that. You should do that if you can. Yes. Um, but chances <laughs> are you won't be able to because there's not there's not too many Sonny Chibas out there. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, uh, what what a what a talent. Um, so yeah, rest in peace. We love you. Um, it it's it. Yeah, Matt. Matt's interview was 2017, you know. So get dig through the the podcast archives and find when we had Sonny Chiba on here. And uh, I mean that that is a a, a a good good discussion. But uh, I mean, there's lots of interviews with him on YouTube and DVD, Blu-ray features. I mean, educate yourself about the guy. Check out his movies. Um, and uh, yeah. That that's oh you know what I'll go out on and I swear to God this is true, um, I as an adult like never remember dreams I have, but I had this dream probably a few days ago. I meant to tell you guys like that day when it happened, but I I guess it works better for podcasting than I'm telling you for the first time now. I had a dream probably because I knew like we were gonna record this i had a dream that us isn't like the three of us we were at a wedding okay and like down the hall or whatever there was some like live variety show going on and sunny chiba was like (laughs) a guest on this variety show and he was wearing this like stupid blonde wig and somehow like i don't know we we like went next door and the guys like running this show we're like oh we lost sonny chiba can you guys go find him so we were like running around this hotel like trying to look for sonny chiba and like we we split up right and i i ended up like finding him like in like an elevator and he was wearing this purple suit and this crazy blonde wig and i was like dude 
you're Sonny Chiba, oh my god, and I was like, they're looking for you, for, for this show, you're supposed to be in this, like, skit coming up soon, and, like, he was like, oh, I gotta change, and then, so, like, we go to his hotel room, and, like, as he's, like, changing, I'm telling him, like, what a big fan he is and everything, and, like, and so he's, like, putting on more normal clothing, and he's not wearing the wig anymore, and that's, like, where my memory of this dream ends, so I don't know if I was woken up or if that's just where it ends. But the, the three of us were tasked with um, wrangling Sonny Chiba to get to a variety show while we were at a wedding. It's like a terrible remake of Get Him to the Greek. <laughs> get, <laughs> or, yeah. I guess better, or I guess a better version. Well, yeah, okay. starring us and we're trying to get Sonny Chiba to a variety show. So that's what I'll go out, go out on. The, the most... <laughs> The most not believable thing about that dream is that Bird actually was going and talking to other people and trying to track <laughs> them down. Oh yeah, I totally would have just like walked around and pretended to be busy and like was, just figured someone else would find it. <laughs> that was really happening. But yeah. Um, anyway, R.I.P. Um, uh, we we're, we we encourage anyone to to check out this guy. Um, I mean, go watch Street Fighter if anything. Like right now go watch street fighter like that that'll make you a fan for life um trev thanks for coming on man absolutely this this was good um always always a pleasure all right well i i guess we'll uh i guess we'll get out of here um so thanks for listening and good night Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.